planet. Massive subterranean development, but limited to no life forms on the surface. Proximity alert, sir. We have an unknown ship heading right for us. Lieutenant Uhura held them? Yes, Captain. No response. I am picking up some kind of signal. They're jamming us. Magnify, Mr. Sulu. What is this? Shields up! Ready! Do you expect me to talk? of Do Talk. I'm your host Becca, as always joined by Dave, Chris and Charlie of the newly christened Movie Drone. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Chris and Dave, how are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, Chris, you must remember to change it on show notes, because it still says Films on Wax next to Charlie. How dare you? Charlie's got <gasps> his own website, Films on Wax. <laughs> shocking. Positively shocking. <laughs> Sorry. I'm fine, thank you. My apologies. Yeah, I need I need to change that. I'll I'll edit it later on. But uh, I am jolly good. I remembered his new name, even though I got it wrong last time. <laughs> to be fair, though, we started recording at like eight o'clock or something, and he changed it about like quarter to seven. <laughs> <laughs> you you could possibly have known. I, I can't follow everyone all the time, you know. I just yeah. I don't know. Not organised enough. I was just lazy. Anyway, carry on. so what film were we reviewing this week? <laughs> Tonight, oh, coming to the end of our Star Trek retrospective reboot series. Uh, tonight we're discussing Star Trek Beyond, starring Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Simon Pegg, John Cho, Carl Urban, Anton Yelchin, and Idris Elba. The score by Michael J. Kino, the script by Simon Pegg and Doug Young, directed by Justin Lin. So what do we think to this so far, final film in the reboot series. It's the best one. I agree. I That's it. At the end. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, Becca, what do you think? Well, so let's hear. Let, let's hear. Change of pace. What? What? Let, let's see you go first. I agree with Charlie. Actually, well, it's, no, the, it's, just, it's the best Star Trek film or the best of the reboots. No, not the best Star Trek film. No. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll leave that to the rankings episode. Um, no, out of the three reboot films, um, I think That's I enjoyed this a lot more. That's when we all put Wrath of Khan top N- Number Charles. one. <laughs> <laughs> this one, actually, might kind of come, I don't know, somewhere in, in the top five at least. Um, yeah, I haven't actually ranked them all yet, but yeah, Wrath of Khan will be number one. That's spoiler alert. Uh, no, um, of the three reboot series, I enjoyed this one um, a whole lot more. Um, you know, kind of it zips through, with, you know, two-hour runtime. Um, 
it doesn't, doesn't kind of like lurch from actions you know set piece to set piece there's no kind of dragging in between um some of the visuals largely very pretty i think it's probably one of the prettiest trek films certainly of the reboot series the first one to be shot digitally i guess so i hear on the great well, certainly the first one was shot on film i can't speak for into darkness but given it was the same um uh a- creative team, it, it would film, likely be yeah it yeah. would yeah. likely be abram's always shoots on film yeah yeah so it's quite interesting um no lens flare no lens flare i am so relieved Shame not. It's shame there wasn't a little bit of lens there. Last time I like, missed it, something like just a little sort of like. Uh, yeah, because you like produced it as well, didn't you, Abrams? So. Mm, it's the producers behind different, it. Um, different cinematographer. Yeah, I was gonna say, we're kind of different crew this time around as well. But yeah, no lens flare. Oh my god, I'm so relieved. Um, but no, in in general, I liked it. This is yeah probably my favourite of the three. Um, characterisation is a lot better. As I say, we obviously discuss these movies sometimes beforehand um, on social media, and I think they've all settled into their roles and you can actually see them being the characters they're meant to portray rather than Chris Pine being in being asked to each other. Mm. Yeah. But it, one thing that really annoyed me, I, I, I haven't read up into like the hair and makeup and everything, but he does look like he's wearing a wig. He's probably not. He <laughs> <laughs> does look a bit wiggy in this film. If you watch the first two, it's parted the other side. It is, and it's slightly And different. he's not going bald, so there's no fucking excuse. No, but he's, got, he's, like, or he's just got a really bad haircut, but he's got like, the epic sideburns. But he does, I mean, it looks good. I, all costumes and makeup really excel in this film, especially Idris Elba, um, whose face, face changes throughout the film. But um, yeah, I kind of think, oh my god, you know, just go and get a haircut. I mean, it could be like a homage to the Shat himself. Yeah, I think it might be, you know. Shat himself? Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> well, he does sit rather awkwardly in that chair. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of perched. <laughs> It does turn 30 in this movie, so maybe it's all downhill from there. You never know. No, in general, though, no, as I say, it's probably my favourite of the three. Um, most enjoyable of the three as well. I've probably, I mean, you know, it's not perfect, but it's the I have least amount of problems with it. But yeah, Chris, what did you reckon? Um, I agree with you, Becca. I mean, when I first came out of it, I think it was me and David talked about this before, haven't we? About what we. Uh, yeah, we did we cover think. it on the Cinematronics yeah. um, sort of summer review episode we did in about September. Yeah, in pretty much the last Cinematronics episode mm. that was on there. Uh, before, I mean, I'll let Chris talk about that episode, but just from my perspective quickly, we were both positive, but we yeah. almost damped it with faint praise, didn't we? Yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, it's okay. Um, like, it was just a bit lightweight, I think was kind of like what we felt about it. It was kind of like, yeah, it's not brilliant, but it was enjoyable enough and probably, you. I mean, you definitely thought it was better than... Into darkness, clearly. Um, so, so I, I thought that was the result. I mean, that's all I wanted. Yeah, just like <laughs> give me something decent. So decent was like a big win. I was happy with that. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got to say, I had a really, really good viewing, as they would say, with uh, this week's. Uh, I do say that a lot. To be yeah, fair. no, but I, I generally did because it was I, I, I think I met when I, we, we kind of message on the board on Facebook, and uh, and I think I've, I've even said that. Uh, this has gone up in my estimations. Uh, I think watching st- uh, the Star Trek films in sequence and getting to know the the, the characters, um, and I've, ca- I've actually sort of res- resounded me just how well they've actually done it. And I think they literally did the best job that actually could they could have actually done. I don't I don't actually see there's many 
many flaws in it than I, I originally thought, really. I think the only re main criticism could be they could have handled the villain a bit better. Uh, but other than that, generally speaking, they did a top-notch job on it. I think all, all the actors actually showed up actually playing the parts of they're supposed to be playing. Uh, this is exactly what Into Darkness should have been, because it's like we, cause after Star Trek, they set all the characters up. You've given us the setup, yeah. Yeah, and and now now we're on that they're on the five year mission and everyone's doing the thing. You know, it it almost seems like a bit like a logical where Chris uh, Pine would be like his Kirk. He would be like, well, I'm a bit. I'm sure I'm not sure I'm ready. I'm not sure I'm fit to be captain. Um, you know, it's not it's not kind of like how he expected it would be. Uh, and then through the events of the film, he kind of finds his place as in the captain's chair. It it kind of makes sense. Whereas you look at Into Darkness and nothing makes sense. Uh, when you when you when we got Into Darkness, which is like sandwiched in between Star Trek and Star Trek Beyond, it's completely just irrelevant. You could literally just cut the whole thing out and it wouldn't make any difference. And in fact, it, it probably makes bet more sense if you just watch Star Trek and Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> all, all the all the references from from this film are back to that first film. Yeah. They talk about him signing up as a dare. They talk about his dad. And there is a general... I think... I talk about the characters, but they, they do sort of... You haven't got Kirk and Spot bickering. Like, like, like it's like, oh, like, you know, they're not getting on. They actually feel like Kirk and Spock in their roles. And not only that, you know, Scotty, Yahura, you know, Sulu... Um, the Doctor, <laughs> McCoy, <laughs> his brain, yeah, yeah, Bones, uh, Walker's you know. McCoy, Monster Munch, something. <laughs> they, they all seem like Doctor Who. No, they all get the, their own screen time, and I know, like, the note it's not always easy in these films to give everyone like a decent amount of roles. But I, I, in my personal opinion, the way you do that is you kind of like rotate it around. So, like, the next film, it'd be like there'd be. A, Juicy part for Sulu to do on that spot in next film. There'd be a good thing for McCoy to, McCoy to be involved with, or you hear, you know, something along those lines. You kind of like rotate it kind of round a little bit, you know. You, should be, you try, but I think generally speaking, everyone's got like an like even spread of stuff to do. And I thought it was actually handled really, really well. Uh, what did you guys think? Right. First of all, um, we need to talk about the lack of um, apparent um, suitable Starfleet candidates and their. Uh, general um, promotional system vice admiral really mm. um we've, we've had we've had chris pine who became captain of the enterprise in about two days and now he's been out in space for a couple of years and suddenly he's been he's been um about to become vice admiral really um other than that i really like it um <laughs> no i i i i really enjoy it um i think yeah, just kind of getting the negative stuff out of the way. Um, the, the kind of the the villain stuff is a bit thin and isn't much different to what's come before. And the guy with the grudge against the Federation, that kind of thing, is kind of. Can I ask a question about the villain? I feel that the whole villain twist at the end it would have been better if they had done that sort of more towards the beginning or in the middle of the film. So it's not. So yeah. it, it kind of give. Um, it just it just said, well like something to kind of work with because beyond that he's basically just alien bad guy one oh one. But when you when we find out like, who he really is, 
uh, it's that's when it leaves like a bit more interesting spin on it. So it's kind of a bit you, delayed by that point, isn't it? As well. Well, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, that's my initial thought. Uh, I don't know if you guys agree with that. I yeah, actually, I... yeah, I see. It's one of those sort of. I mean, as I say, this film isn't perfect. There are some flaws, and that's probably one of the main bugbears that I have with it. I wish, I wish that he'd been wearing like makeup or a mask or something. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm not a fan of them putting him in the alien makeup and making him into an alien. I mean, it could have been he's um, all in the get gear, then like you know, and he's all like intimidating in that kind of like armor, kind of like suit kind of stuff, and then like. At the end, he takes the mask off, and it's like, oh shit, he's actually a silver. Yeah, they they, they still could have found a way for him to kind of be aged and have something and not having be an alien, but Mm. it's it's beside the point. Yeah, so that could, and also, um, you can tell Simon Pegg wrote it because he's uh, got a nice big part. (laughs) He's got a big part, and he crumbs in all the references as well. So you've got Green Alien Hand and lots of other references too. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's. that's pretty cool, um, and uh, yeah, well, they're he- hearing Scotty calling Jim. Yeah, work. that doesn't work for me at all. So like it would always be Captain Scotty was one of those. Scotty's always had kind of a sense of um, hierarchy. We talked about this when we were talking yeah. about uh, the motion yeah. picture. The um, uh, basically Scotty when they're flying over on the shuttlecraft to the Enterprise Scotty yeah. pokes a bit of fun at him and all of us said mm, that doesn't ring true there's only two people who can do that and, and um, Scott, Scott, Scotty a, Scotty ain't one of them no yeah um, but um, no I, it's you actually get to see exploring and adventure and kind of like yeah it's just like even though they're kind of fleeting moments um just just some of it was just was just beautiful to see that kind of side of things um before it kind of turned into the usual kind of very much something aligned with what could be an old um tos episode mm. um but yeah no, i i really enjoyed it um yeah there's kind of bugbears that will probably um, that we'll get through as, as we discuss it, like the, like the, the, the reuse of sabotage. Um, yeah, is like the most middle-aged white choice ever for a song. No, it's it's edgy if you're middle-aged. You think it's edgy. Exa- exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's a bit exactly. like when I was in my teens and my dad was about my age. Now he thought yeah. that like my generation thought Phil Collins was really fucking <laughs> cool <laughs> just because he would win stuff at the Brits. It's a nice callback to you know the original reboot film, though, I think. Well, I hate that bit in the reboot, so... Oh, it's a bit cheesy, I, but you just think... Oh. I, I don't like it for me. And it's, no, no, fair and, enough. I, I guess that's the, that's the thing as well. It's, it's the kind of the whole... Yeah, it might, it just makes me think of J.J. Abrams, who is a white middle-aged guy. And, and, and they wouldn't call it classical fucking music. No, no. that was a bit... That I don't me. care how far in the future we get anything from this era isn't going to get lumped in with like Mozart and stuff no it's a completely different league why are they being I wonder if you can it's like it's a completely different fucking style (laughs) especially since they play a much better song the the public enemy before sure Um, one thing can be a bit sarcastic maybe so with that I I don't want to kind of go too much into this but with that and with elbow and his makeup this that just seems like maybe a tiny bit of um whitening shall we say but um 
Yeah, I say the same. I mean, I, yeah. do, I do like uh, from, from kind of from that, no but... that kind of perspective. I do agree, but I think I, I, the the detail and like the craft that has gone to into his makeup, oh, I yeah. think, is quite interesting. Nice. Sort of in, yeah, the design of it, I, I like. Um, yeah, the, but there's the film... whitewashing going on for sure. The film looks beautiful. Um, it's just some of the some of the shot choices are really really nice. Um, the action is is coherent. Um, and uh, yeah, like all, all everyone seems to have eased into their roles, and um, there's it's nice to see the characters move. So you have um, Pine has gone from being the uh, oh, I've, wank stain's the word you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to being less <laughs> of wank stain. Um, so to had to have him going from kind of the existential crisis about whether he's good enough to be captain to whether he wants to be captain after which is very different it's easy to take that for granted but they're very different debates yeah so yeah yeah, so i i I really like it and uh, yeah i'm looking forward to discussing it at length what do you think dave Mm, i i've got mixed feelings about this film because in the detail it, it is i think it's objectively the best of the three in the um, the characters are closer to what they're supposed to be, almost uniformly. Um, where they're not, like Scotty, Scotty's still not the the James Tuam portrayal at all. But he he was never designed to be in this universe, and and that's fine. I think there's a step up in direction talent. Forget whatever you think of the fast films, for example, and we'll get to that in a moment but just in terms of the talent they, they've toned the bridge down there, there's better looking shots there's a bit more thought into what's going on here it's not as bright um, and shiny is it no it isn't becky you're absolutely right I, I watched it this time as well to see what what it was about pine that i thought was different this time well he does look a little bit older more than i i, I gave credit to before but there's a stillness to him if you go and watch him in the first two films he's a very busy actor he's too busy um, running around the place uh, for me, like what I've really noticed, um, I'm not saying Pine was literally running around on the film going like, ah all the time, but here it's he's very much like calmer. He's much more calmer, kind of like a bit more, more like measured in his movements, wow. isn't he? Yeah, like there, there's um, I think it's at the end. It's at the end of the film where he's he's off. He's offered like the you know the the admiral's position or whatever. <laughs> that, 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 right. that Charlie's and he looks older there as well because they've got a bit of makeup on. Yeah. Him because he's been punched about a bit. Yeah. But yeah. He, he he says a line which I thought hey, I thought that was really like Kirk, but it actually was a little bit more. He, he just sort of says, "Captains don't fly, do they?" But it's he. But if it was an Abrams film, it would have been done with a bit more of like a wink to the camera. But it was it's a bit more of like a. It felt a bit more like a real response from an actual character this time around. Yeah, where he, where he goes, oh, that's yeah. yeah, that's not any fun. That's no fun. It's like yeah, yeah. You, can, you can hear like Shatner saying that line. Yeah, there are yeah, a and, lot of and there are there. things through the film. I mean, I I do have some issues with where Kirk is at the start of the film, and we'll get into that as we go through it because this Kirk, oh, sorry, the Shatner Kirk would never have been in that position in the first place. But I think there's a good reason for that within the narrative of the film. But I do think that the Kirk in this film is, is is stiller than he's been all the way through. I mean, there's just been a busyness to him to this point. The the very Shatner-esque bit of, of like, Shat- William Shatner was always, I must be seen as the captain to, like, be the um, originator of heroic acts. 
And I thought about that when like Pine was showing crews, crew members to, to like escape pods and stuff. And I'm thinking that's so William Shatner, but that he's just better in this. There is no doubt we have, it's very rare. We get the three of them because of the way they're split up, but there are shots near the end of the film that it tells me Justin Lee at least understands it's meant to be a three particularly near the end of the film where they're looking out towards the Enterprise and talking about getting back out there. It starts with the three of them and then the rest of them join. I do think this film fits in with some of the faults we've seen through the series so far, that it, it still tries to um, create a big bad where maybe there shouldn't have been one. But it's got a lovely warp effect. Um, it's got... Um, some of the best performances we've seen in the series so far. It's got the characters closer to their characters than they're ever meant to, than they, they've ever been so far. We've got a director here that I think probably wouldn't have been most Trek fans' choice because they would have looked at it and said, "Oh, the fast films—they're going to dumb it down and action it up." But what they've had, uh, Justin Lin is to the day three years older than me. His birth, he shares a birthday with me. And I saw him on the special features, of which there weren't as many as I would like, talking about how he watched the film with his father from the age of, I think it was seven. It was either seven or eight. Let's say it was seven for a minute. That means he's been watching the original series since 1980. And his dad was Frank Lin, which obviously comes out in the film as a little tribute. So they've hired a Star Trek fan. And as much as if you were to say to me, which is the closest of the films we've seen so far to this, it's actually insurrection in terms of style. But this film, more than any of them, and more than some of the original crew uh, cast uh, films, is closest to an episode. You can tell that Justin Lin is not only a Star Trek fan, he's a Star Trek, the original series fan. And if you take out the fact that there's a huge budget on this and there is some like, you know, Beastie Boys and all the rest of it. This is very much the original series. This plonk them down on a planet and they have to figure it out. This couldn't have been a next generation film in any way, shape or form. And so for everything I'm about to say as we go through it, because I don't love this film. I wish I did. It, it doesn't feel particularly essential to me. And I'll explain some of that as we go through but it's the most competent. It's the most pretty. It's got the most flawed effects because they rushed it. It's got some narrative contrivances that are just born out of how fast they had to write it. But it's such an enormous step up from next week that I'm just grateful for it. Yeah, I think I think for some of the things you touched on there, for me, I think it's one of the reasons why I actually really like it. Um, it's it's an all rounder crowd please. I think. Star Trek fans would appreciate it, especially after Into Darkness. It's like, oh, finally, yeah, they're actually bothering to put the characters on screen. And there's actually elements of the original Star Trek in there that I can enjoy, but while yeah. at the same time... I, I will interrupt there, Chris, because you've actually hit on the point I almost forgot to make. That I don't care whether Star Trek fans love this, hate it, or fucking tolerate it. But from what I've seen on social media, as I've said to you in the past, there's an awful lot of people poo-pooing this universe because oh this isn't star trek yeah but it's almost like a snobbery born of like well this is dumb and it's it's almost like they don't want it to have mass appeal and they don't want it to have like you know nice effects and stuff 
and I've even heard people say, well, this film flopped because it's not very clever. Well, you think, well, actually, if you took the adjusted list, this would be way up because most Star Trek films don't gross that high. This film is so, so much the spirit of the original series. It's untrue. It isn't very Next Generation Deep Space Nine Voyager Enterprise. It isn't. But this is TOS. It really, really is. And so anyone who sits there and says, well, this isn't Star Trek, I question whether it's just pure snobbery or you don't actually know Star Trek. As a non-Star Trek fan, I, I, for me, I actually can see that. Uh, that it's I can actually see like the reflection of the characters. I mean, even though it is dressed up as a big budget blockbuster with all the action scenes and all the you know with the big with the Enterprise getting destroyed and the Beastie Boys sequence and all and all that, you know. But it, at the same time, it it kind of like pleases non Star Trek fans as well. So what what I what I find is really really good about it is it's a good all rounder. It keeps everyone happy without abandoning the the core values of providing you haven't gone in chris determined to hate it yeah if you go in determined that like oh this is this isn't real star trek then you can find things you're gonna hate Mm. but if you go in with a fairly open mind and you're fans of, of of some of those episodes that charlie can talk about where they go down to some planet and have to fucking figure it out this film is very much in that spirit oh absolutely i think it's it's clear like you said, that he is a massive fan of the original series. And I think everything here from the, from the structure of the thing, um, right down to, cause like they come to a star base, there's something happens at a star base. They have to go and investigate. They have to go down to a planet. They get split up. So they have to figure out things separately and then come back together. The way that's all done, that is classic TOS and the way the characters are as well. Um, much more kind of, close to their to their, to their um, TOS counterparts. Well, I mean, if you look at the film that I, I've just said this is the closest to, Insurrection, only because mm. they're down on some planet without a lot of support and all the rest of it. But the differences are quite key because Insurrection is purely about the politics of the situation. Mm. Uh, insurrection is purely about what are we doing here, what are our values, etc. Those are TNG preoccupations. Whereas TOS was much more about how do we get through this situation? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's certainly with with Insurrection and with Picard, that was that was very much a kind of whatever you say about the the other films. That was the most kind of on brand for Picard. Um, I'd say so. It was the it was the most Picard we ever saw in the films. Yeah, um, and uh, and yeah, I'd say that the the same thing with with the new ones and. and um, Almost, yeah, like you said, almost compared to most of the old ones, to be honest with you, um, in, in terms of how much it parallels um, episodes of TOS, which is a nice kind of springboard to take it back to, especially for the uh, the, the 50th anniversary. But I think if I, if, I, if I think if I had one problem with this, it's only that this is no more essential than a given episode except a little bit of Kirk's self-doubt and a little bit of the stuff around Spock and Spock Prime. I I keep waiting three or four years every time, and this feels almost like it isn't a bottle episode because the bottle episode's on like one or two sets, but it feels a bit like a bottle episode. 
the only difference of course here is that is is the destruction of the enterprise which we can get into so i can't get as excited about it as the 2009 film but objectively it's probably better it has more of its um it has more of its ingredients right than the 2009 film i guess for me is is that's a really interesting point but i guess more for me none of none of them are really essential and in on i mean obviously into darkness we can take that out of the equation because it's shit um yeah let's just talk <laughs> about the two because no one's liked into darkness but i guess with what beyond has had to do um especially coming after into darkness and the re- and the, re- the fan reaction that film had versus what abrams and co had to do with the first star trek and all the all the the tick boxes um in terms of getting all the characters into place that it's 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 because that it's an origin story um then it's it's for me it's it's very hard to excuse me very hard to, to, to compare for me but because I, yeah I, I wouldn't put any of them as, as essential essential at least not compared to the first six even though even though um beyond will be certainly ranked above a couple of those um saying that i yeah as entertainment and certainly in terms of when you look at how close they are to star trek um as as a concept and TOS as a concept, then the the curve certainly some, goes up. Some, some fans on. won't want to hear hear us say that. Fuck some them. fans so no, fuck <laughs> them. they won't they won't um, want to hear that. They they are totally this is not Star Trek in any way, shape, or form. And I'm sorry, it fucking well is. The thing is, this I've, is I've, so TOS. It's untrue. But could, but couldn't you say that about when um, Next Generation comes out? Like, say, what you think? Hang on, this isn't Star Trek. This has a slightly different feel and aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Two points to that. Y- yes. On the one hand, I totally agree because the Next Generation is not that like TOS. It's like almost like an extrapolation of it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not claiming to be because it's a different crew. This is Spock, Kirk, McCoy, Sulu, Uhura, Chekhov, etc. So I, I could at least understand the argument, well, that's not those characters. But go and watch so, so many of the original series. <coughs> what you have here is greater scale because of budget and all the rest of it. And, and, and at least a couple of the characters have been reimagined in this scenario. I mean, Scotty is not the James Doohan Scotty. He never has been. And Kirk is somewhat different. But they are so much closer here than I've seen for, for a long time. And this is more Star Trek than even some of the original crew films. Only two or three of them. But it, it, is, it, stands, it stands comparison with a lot of those films. And it feels more TOS, i.e. the 60s series, than most Star Trek we've ever seen since. What it just has is, has, is an enormous budget underneath it. Would you say it holds up as like a, as a 50th anniversary film then? Because I think that's what this film is, obviously. It was rushed to get out for the 50th yeah. anniversary. Do you well, think this stands good. up as a, as a tribute to the series then? Yes and no. I mean, I think that, like I say, it captures the spirit probably better than any Star Trek film we've had for a long time. But it, it's almost... It, the few narrative flaws it has come out of the fact they've rushed it. 
i.e. some of the villain motivations and all the rest of it don't actually make very much sense, but I'm very forgiving for those reasons. Also, um, you've got a situation where it's had to hit an anniversary and they've come up with almost, as I say, a bottle episode that I can't see that there are themes in this that will carry on to the next film. It doesn't matter. It picks up a few films from themes from the first film, but that's about it. I think it kind of repairs the damage from Into Darkness. I think. I think there's oh, certain think things. It just ignores Into Darkness. And <laughs> yeah. By yeah, sort of skips it and carries on. I, I think that. What, what, put it this way: in about March of 2015, they said to Doug, Doug Young and uh, Simon Pegg, "You've got to get this script done by July because." We've got to get the sets ready and get this filmed in enough time to get the CGI done. And the CGI in this film is weaker than the previous two for that very reason. I mean, the 2009 film looks like it was made 10 years afterwards in technology terms. But that's fine. That's a bit like X-Men First Class, which is the best X-Men film for me. You've made it in a hurry, so I will accept some of those problems. But they've said to them, you've got to get this out by the 50th anniversary which means this schedule. And on that basis, they have made something better than we could ever possibly have expected. And the key thing is, the previous two films, whatever their, whatever their pluses and minuses, and I love 2009, but the script was the weakest part of it. The script is not massively a problem here. That means, to me, this is a win. Shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yes. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Why not? Well, at the start of this film, we're kind of used to now. We, you know, the uh, the one thing they have picked up from Into Darkness is this sort of pre-title idea, mm. this little caper. I kind of like this. Yeah. It's really like film fun. before the film, really, isn't it? Particularly as, did any of you now, with the benefit of hindsight, think of Snoke? No. Yeah. The fact that. We're all imagining Snoke might be like two inches tall or something <laughs> <laughs> because he's been like really projected so massive. Actually, yeah. And the way this this film is shot, we think these creatures are massive and they're tiny because they're so I high thought, up and they're I, sort of like, you know, it's really angry. And you think by the time he reached down to the bottom, you think, oh, actually, he's two foot tall, you know? Yeah, nothing. I thought of, of um, Galaxy Quest actually. This director knows Trek. Just little things like Shatner was always getting his fucking shirt torn. Mm. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the nice little kind of nods like that along the way, aren't there? I think. I think it just it just feels very much like when it, when it first happened with the whole uh, alien girl, like Kirk fighting off like lots of aliens. For some reason, it just it just spoke like oh, this is like original series all the way. This is like the the sixties show. It's the fact that he does the double the double hand swing. Yeah. I, I didn't even notice that till you mentioned it, and it's suddenly <laughs> Spot that's, on. that's Kirk fighting the Gorn. Yeah, that is. It really is. <laughs> and misses completely because <laughs> they're so mm. small. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 a great end, a great a great beginning, and uh, all of this is, I, I'm still kind of really this is really stupid, but really put off by the fact that there's no title at the beginning. Kind of go straight into it. We cut after this. Kirk is like beamed back up to the Enterprise and the beings are with him and still it, all of that's like a little bit of a caper which is not dissimilar to them running out of the holy place at the start of the last film, that's very similar Kirk's got them into some fucking mess of a scenario, tried to wing it and fucked it up, I, I, that's kind of cool, I don't mind that but when we started having Kirk walking down corridors in slow motion 
Mm. With a voiceover saying, effectively, I fucking hate this. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, you think, you know, he's bored. First, you know. Well, on first watching, I had a real problem with it, Becca, because the Kirk we know adored the Enterprise. And it, adored- yeah, this, this kind of bothered me a little bit as well. I mean, I, I get the kind of tone, obviously, was it the three years or, you know, how many hundred days in, into well, the five-year mission? And what, I say we've kind of lost sight of what the purpose is. But it's like you know, it's in the captain's oath, as you as we were saying. You think? Um, I'm 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 going to defend this somewhat. Uh, I think because I said this is like the exactly what the second film should have been. Uh, this picks off straight after uh, Star Trek. Basically, I think the the whole point of the film, well, at least from Kirk's character arc, is finding his place on board the Enterprise and essentially falling in love with the ship. So by the end of the film, he is that Kurt that you you look. So by the beginning of the film, yeah, he's not really enjoying it. He's still trying to like, I'm not sure I'm, I'm feeling this. By the end of the, by the end of the film, he's got the, the new Enterprise all all built. He's got his crew. He's got his his family. He is that Kirk. He is the like, yeah, I I adore the Enterprise. I am. I I'm, I never want to be out of that chair, you know, kind of thing. It's almost that... Um... Jeff Goldblum line that you know he, he spent so long thinking about whether he could he didn't think about whether he should mm-hmm. that the whole first film was about like settling this bet that like I dare you to do better so he did the original Kirk joined up to Slarfleet from his own volition and we assume certainly from everything we've ever seen that it wasn't a Pike character coming into a bar and like daring him into it so the original Kirk was much more comfortable with why he was there before he did it and also he'd worked his way up the ladder the more normal way i mean the big problem we had with that first film was here you are your captain he'd been there five (laughs) minutes in terms of graduated in fact he hadn't graduated they were still part of the academy this kirk hadn't yet quite found his reason for being or at least understood what it is he had but at the same time, I do wonder that given that they're of similar intellects, both Kirks, given that they're effectively the same person, that we hear a lot in this film, and I think it's quite nice the way they do it. They talk about space has no up and down. It has no end, meaning that you you can't be goal-oriented because the, the um, ex- exploration goes on forever. Well, that, that's quite nice as an idea. But I can't imagine that as something that explorers would ever worry about. So the idea that they might not have an end to their exploration, I find it quite nicely written and quite nicely thought of. And it is a nice story arc for this, Kirk, for the sake of this film. doesn't quite ring true to me, though. Okay, I I just kind of think it kind of almost, obviously completely just rewrites into darkness, like off. (laughs) <laughs> almost like off, off 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 the timeline, but it kind of like okay, well that fi- that that film did that film did absolutely know what nothing. Simon Pegg thought of that film, we know now. <laughs> well, yeah, seeing that film actually did no nothing whatsoever. Like no no characters learned or achieved anything. They were still in the same place. So I think this film had to do a bit of heavy lifting. So okay, fine, we need to get Kirk, and even they almost acknowledge like the almost like the faults of the first film of like okay, well this guy isn't ready to be captain, so he needs a film where he kind of finds his place while doing the job and actually finds what it means to be the captain of the Enterprise. 
the film does a, a good job in doing that. I think we, we do. I, find... I think if you look at I think if you look at Kirk across the entire series, yeah, i.e. from 1966 onwards, and even across these three films, I'm not necessarily convinced by it. But if you look at it entirely in the context of this film, I think it's really well done. I think it, it, it's quite sensible to look at somebody in deep space that long. Would he think about it? Would he think about it near his father's birthday? He never got this opportunity. Would he think about it when his crew is put in danger? Would he think about it when his craft is blown up? Well, what is it I'm here for? Is it the craft? Is it the people? Is it the journey? Is it the exploration? So I think within the context of this film, it's actually really, really well done. I think if you take Captain Kirk from 1966 to present, less so. Yeah, this is this is someone where as soon as the five-year mission ends, he will be on the phone to Star Trek saying, I want an extension. I want to be back out there. What the what the Kirk we know is. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this guy isn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess... I don't know how much of that is is different because he, yeah, that's the thing. He was never set out, even though all the all the cues were there, like um, the, uh, the 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 twin sun shot of the Enterprise being built in Iowa and mm. all that kind of thing. But there's never anything that has ever shown that he's been anywhere interested in exploring or anything to do with space. What do you think he is interested in then? across the three films i guess adventure I when, guess when he, he looks at that ship in the first film what's he thinking what 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 does it stir in him it isn't let's find out what's you know hundreds of light years from here no it's wow this is really cool i i think if anything uh and you know i think what the film is aiming for is is obviously filling his father's legacy you know it's like uh i think it, it's almost uh as if I want to continue on in my father's name. Go, go to the place where he never got. We got cut short and doing. You know, he died in, in Call of Duty. I want to, I want to get, I want to go join the academy and become a captain like he did, and then continue on as he would have. Almost. That's what I read from the first film, anyway. I don't see. That's, that's the thing. It's that's what it, it maybe should be, but I don't ever feel that rings true. Yeah. Because it it never feels anything that happens that 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 pops up. In, any significance unless the script demands it maybe an intention but maybe not an execution yeah like if if pike mentions it or like like the the, the chat he and um mccoy have um in at the beginning of this film um where he talks about it as well and kind of i don't know you there's there's kind of little bits that are like obviously there's <coughs> when you think about pivotal points in this series there's the bar fight and the after thing where Pike has a chat with him there, tells him about what George had done with his ship. Then he comes on there and then Spock mentions it vaguely um, when they, when he tells him off about the Kobayashi Maru. It just never feels it's, it's kind of consistently follow through. And um, again, it's, it's never, yeah, it's always a sense of, I'm the guy who wants to drive a Corvette off a cliff and jump out at the last minute. Whereas instead of I'm the guy who wants to see the galaxy, who wants to meet new races, who wants to explore. So it is, it is, it's basically evil can evil versus Christopher Columbus. That's a valid Kirk for this 
universe. Because he's got a different background, I think we're quite forgiving of that. Because he's got the whole broken home thing and stepdad and all that kind of thing. Whoa, look at me is quite valid when you've had that background. Yeah, because you're trying to prove yourself against all sorts of things. And he doesn't eat where and, and he's essentially told told himself to prove told, Pike's told him to prove himself against something completely different that he had no idea about. So he's been put on this journey. And again, it's completely valid for this universe because yeah, because that of that different timeline. But yeah, as 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 you said earlier, it's certainly not consistent with the nineteen sixty six Kirk that we know. But then maybe that's the good thing. Maybe the good thing is that they are taking it on this different journey. I'm happy with a little bit different. It isn't supposed to be a remake, and this film captures a certain spirit, and that's good enough. For me, anyway. But but, but that's the thing, though. When, when was the last time that Star Trek honestly felt like it was about exploring new worlds and new civilizations on the film, on the big screen? Mm. Good question. Uh, Star Trek Five. Yeah. I don't like it, but yeah, Star Trek Five. Yeah. Probably. But I mean, it doesn't always have to be the same thing. I mean, if you keep coming back to the same crew, oh, no. sometimes it'll be warlike, sometimes it'll be that. But I did appreciate that out of this film. Definitely. Mm. Um, and the other thing, of course, is we get past that sort of preamble and we get some of the little they go to what is it called the yorktown yorktown yeah yorktown, yeah they go there and of course when they leave which is skipping a, a chunk but we start seeing justine ling's sensibility we see the new warp effect mm. which i like because warp was always painted to me anyway that it punches a hole in space and kind of surfs through so that's cool. what this represents that profile shot of the enterprise warping through space and kind of making this kind of bubble around it. Well, that's what I think it's what's meant like, to look like. It's absolutely beautiful. I just say, I think that scene looks amazing. It's, it could be, you know, you, you could frame it and hang it on your wall. It's kind of like a work of art almost. Yeah, I guess, I guess, really pretty. That, I guess that's, that's, that's the thing that um, before, whether it's budget or whatever, uh, that, that kind of actually displaying in warp has always just been stars flashing past while you look out the window. I mean, you couldn't have done it original films. You probably couldn't have done it next oh, generation yeah. films. Yeah. And it's funny how it, it's a bit like you can sit in a bar drinking scotch all evening and it tastes fine until they run out and open a bottle of something else and you suddenly realise what you were drinking was like shit. Yeah. And I think it's the same with this, that like J.J. Abrams is perfectly serviceable and it, it takes this guy to come along to go actually there's some like inventiveness in shot making that wasn't there yeah i mean the the uh, the enterprise looks great the way the way it's shot in this film yeah and i mean even, like it's... i mean i just want to mention the bridge because i've moaned about the bridge i don't like the bridge i think it's too bright i still think it's too bright mm. but they've given it much more loot I was about to say moody, but it's actually bluer. It's more subdued. Yeah. And it's more subdued because Kirk is more subdued at the start of the film. But, like, they've actually taken an existing set and and made it less offensive on the eyes. Yeah, it's considerably less bright and shiny, I think. Yeah. And the um, the external shots where 
kind of abrams would do these kind of weird ones when you like like the ones where you see it upside down and things like that and it's, it's kind of less stuck kind of, shots going on as well yeah they were kind of kind of they were decent shots but they were kind of very disorientating mm. and they date and and almost as if to say this isn't your dad's star trek so i'm gonna i'm gonna put point the camera upside down to prove that no. I mean, there's, there's only one scene that I do think does that a little bit, and that's the first scene as we first arrive into Yorktown, and the camera just kind of like curves around, and that is a little bit disorienting for me. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Just because I'm, that, I'm a little that's... bit special and spatially challenged, but um, but otherwise, <laughs> but yeah, you haven't got so many kind of upside yeah. down and. But I, th- I think that's, that's purposeful because of the orientation of Yorktown, and I, I, I think because of how it is. You I know, love the Yorktown sequence. Beautiful, it's the most beautiful scenes. It's, I think it's, it's, it's the nicest it's, that we've seen. It's it, a crap yeah. film, but it made me think of Elysium. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <coughs> I, I like the style, but I mean it's not entirely original because it, it, there's a bit of Elysium in this. Yeah, but I mean stylistically and the way it's shot, certainly very similar. Yeah, but it's great. And again, it's, it's something inventive um, coming out in this series, and the way you kind of pick it up and then you move around and then you move and then it sort of swims and you see it underneath the water. Yes. It's just and and the music as well. It's quite magical um, in a way, isn't it? I think the, the Yorktown theme is wonderful, and there, there's a whole beautiful kind of um, feeling conjured by that scene that that makes it feel really really special. And again, it's like it feels like exploring, even though you're just going through a space station. Um, it feels like you're exploring new places. See now, if you were on the Enterprise. And you've never seen a space station like this. You've gone from Earth. You've been in deep space for several years. It would feel exploratory. Yes. Yeah. Flying into it, presuming presuming you can see either on a view screen or out of a window. You would you would be, my God, look at that. So I haven't got any problems here, but it's quite clear at this point in the film, Kirk it wants out. Kirk is not happy. Uh, what, did you think of, what did you think of the scene with him at the bar with uh, McCoy? I'm asking Charlie first because Charlie and I have both talked about that triumvirate and, and how well or not it's been represented in these films. It was nice to see him doing stuff with McCoy. It was very the very kind of ad hoc medical. Um, but there's always there's always been a notion that McCoy is not just his doctor but his bartender. His counsellor, to yeah. actually put it behind a bar is almost too on the nose, but it isn't because mm-hmm. most people wouldn't get that because they wouldn't have thought about it that way. But it is exactly what that relationship is. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading some of the original stuff that Roddenberry uh, and, uh, wrote when it was still uh, Robert April, I think, yeah. and his doctor... Um, and it was very much the same kind of thing. And, yeah, it's, it's just, it feels like very, very natural. And Urban certainly feels like he's toned down his caricature. Um, and also, they're not drinking rum and ale, which is awesome. <laughs> at yeah. last, at last. Yes. It's illegal, you know. <laughs> yeah. Something else, which is also Sor- illegal. Saurian brandy, which it, uh, uh, also... Is it, I thought it was whiskey. It's whiskey originally, but it's sort of, you start sinking, drinking oh, right. soy and brandy. And that's they, something they, they very then much mentioned that they found it in. Um, I do wonder Chekhov's. if this was a reshoot, actually, because they say it was found in Chekhov's locker. locker. Uh, they finished principal photography when Anton Yelchin died. 
But I do wonder if just to bring him up and put him in it more, this might have been a reshoot. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. I do like the idea that McCoy's just like she's going through Chekhov's locker. It's like, I found it in Chekhov's locker. What what are you doing in Chekhov's locker? (laughs) I don't mean mean in life, by the way, because I'd hate this attitude in life. But I like the idea in the film. That it's like fuck it, he's only he's only a kid. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, like see, he don't count. He's only a kid. Yeah, I mean, it's funny enough that, that I've come always kind of very been been very um, drawn towards these kind of scenes. It's like the scenes in Wrath of Khan with McCoy and Kirk, and even with Spock and Kirk as well. Just to kind of the, these little scenes here and there, and so I so I really like the scene. It feels natural. Do you feel like that they're kind of, instead of just playing someone else's characters, which they've been doing so far, that finally we're actually seeing them playing their characters? Yeah, yeah, they're in their they're in their skin now, finally, and they've they've eased into that, and it no longer feels like they're kind of they're trying to be other actors. They're trying to be the characters. I. Def- I, I feel, I mean, I agree, but I also feel like there's definitely a sense of, like, uh, they're a lot more relaxed this time around. There's a lot more of, like, okay, we're just, we're just here to kind of, like, enjoy, enjoy ourselves a bit more and just actually just, you know, yeah, it's just like, yeah, just, you know, there's, there's no pressure here this time around. I feel it's a very much more relaxed tone to the performances. I certainly think that if if you look, I, I've mentioned it before tonight, but if you look at something like Insurrection, whatever you think of that film, that's a film that only works with a crew that have been together for a while, and I think that's true of this film. And although they've only they've only been together like six hours in total, it actually um, feels like a crew that know each other, and I don't think. I mean, it wouldn't work for lots of reasons, but for simple reasons of chemistry, you couldn't have done this as like, excuse me, you couldn't have done this as like a first film. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I think the little kind of montage where he's walking around the ship helps with that kind of thing as well. Like the, the the kind of the couple of scenes where you have the the one people kissing and then the other one throwing the other person out. I think I don't know if it's Chekhov or not. It does look like him profile, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, he doesn't have any spoken dialogue in that particular scene, yeah. so I don't know. So it's it's kind of that runs to me where, again, on TOS, you think of Balance of Terror, where one of Kirk's duties, which sadly he never gets to carry it in full, is to marry those two those two officers. Yeah. Yeah. So you think of the way that the relationships on the Enterprise, and how it all works, and. Um, it gives much more of a fuller idea. And yeah, it, it, because of those kind of ideas as well, and where we were last time, the, the passage of time feels like it's longer, even though it wasn't really. And um, and you get the in this, this midst of this five-year mission, and that really, really helps sell it. Yeah, I think that, that's absolutely true. So anyway, we're, we're on this space station, Yorktown, which is kind of almost like a planet i guess and it's definitely tried to evoke that because they don't want to be back at earth yeah obviously because they're on the five-year mission but they, they need to give this stakes that we relate to um and kirk as i say wants to resign 
or not resign. He wants to move on. He wants to be yeah. promoted, actually. Quite the opposite from resignation. But anyway, they get a distress signal. They all go to this planet to, like, save some people. And they've got to go via, like, an asteroid field. I guess this is the problem with this film for me, that you put someone out on, like, a five-year mission. And unless you want them home every two minutes, they've got to go places we don't know. And by definition, they end up going places we don't necessarily care about. But we do get faced with the destruction of the Enterprise now. Now, when I went to see this, I think I had mixed feelings. I think partly, partly I was so ready for the film to be poor that I wasn't necessarily that engaged. But I think also I think of, I've said this in previous weeks, that captaincy for me is partly the captain in the chair. And part of Star Trek for me is the ship. So when you blow the ship up in the first half an hour, you take something away from the film for me. I liked it. I I thought it's a, it's a well, really well executed sequence. Um, I thought it was a really good idea of how like they're facing not just like another big ship, but like almost like lots of tiny drones like working together, um, which is kind of like a, like a dangerous like concept. Um, and I, I I at the time I didn't realize. Um, I just thought, oh, okay, great, destroying the Enterprise again. It just felt like they've just. It's like an like an old like it's always the go to thing to like destroy it, but um, here I actually think it actually means something, and they actually did a good job in justifying why they did it. So um, yeah, I'm I'm generally okay with it now. I was before I was a little bit a bit okay, fine. I don't really I didn't really want to see the Enterprise being destroyed. No, see, I agree. Really, it's one of those things. Yeah, they always keep on going back to right. How how badly can they trash the Enterprise? And this time, obviously, they trash it almost completely but i think that this type of um yeah the swarm i think that's we haven't seen very much you know certainly in the recent films um hasn't been seen before um it's a very clever way of doing it um but as what i'm just saying is that yeah i, I agree with you chris and I'm, I'm on board up till now it's it's better when you ignore into darkness because obviously into darkness took great pains to mess up the <laughs> ship so, so he could kick the uh <laughs> Yeah, Remember, so he's got magic blood, so theoretically he's indestructible. Magic blood, oh yeah. It's your death. It's it's done really nicely, and I remember the um, every, every every time I've watched it, the kind of gasp when they all just pile into the deflector, and then yeah. getting really annoyed at when Sulu says they've taken out the dish. It's like it's a deflector. <laughs> Sorry, that's just me being really it nerdy. No, but no, but it's the deflector dish. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But still, it's the, it's a deflector. Dish. Yeah. But what that told me that I didn't realise before was that. Or, Dear sorry. Simon Pegg, I've got a pick with <laughs> so, you. What? Lots that, of love, Charlie. If you watch carefully, and I watched it carefully today, what that dialogue tells us is the shield is generated from the deflector dish. Hmm. Which sounds obvious when you think, well, what's it there to do deflect? But I never saw the deflector dish as about the shield because they fly along with shield. Yeah. It, it's not about shields, are purely about when you're shot at. Whereas this film almost postulates that it's there to protect the ship entirely. The deflector dish is purely... When, when you watch something like Star Wars and they have to type... They have to like get coordinates from the Navi computer before yeah. they jump to light speed so they don't fly into a planet. 
the deflected dish is Star Trek's universe version of that, that when they fly along, it'll basically knock anything out that's in their way. And um, But their shields fail noticeably in this film when the deflected dish is knocked out. So we're effectively told the deflected dish is responsible for protection of the ship full stop. See, I'm just reading on the internet now where apparently the original the original idea was that it was supposed to project a force field ahead of the ship that deflects small debris out of the ship's path when it's traveling at warp speed that makes sense yeah. i never saw it that way but that does make sense yeah but this but that's but that's a very good kind of visual clue into mm. kind of linking it to shields it's very much like it return of the jedi yeah, but that, that's literally almost forward shields, whereas shields, oh yeah, yeah, you understand, are like a bubble around the ship, so it's not quite yeah. the same thing, is it? But yeah, uh, you know, uh, fine. Yeah. The, the shield is generated from the deflected dish in this universe. Yeah, my 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 only criticism of the whole sequence is it maybe takes a bit long for the whole thing. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I mean, the, uh, with all the like, ship on ship fighting and, I mean, for a three act structure. It's actually perfect because when when it lands, it's like thirty two and a half minutes or something. That actually works, but it's a hell of a long setup because it's pretty relentless for that whole time. I, I guess it makes it feel like it, a it it builds up the idea that uh, the Enterprise isn't that easy just to take down, uh, and it makes it a bit of a battle for it. You know, it's like we've got to save the ship, or we've got to fight the intruders, or or stop stop them from doing this and it just so I, I think i'm fine with the length of the of it because it just it makes it a bit more of a battle well i mean it's also as well don't forget chris that that we've so, got a tos fan in charge of this film yeah mm. and this whole sequence shows us the crew working together not panicking trying to do the right things trying to hail the ship trying to do everything it can we see kirk um not forgetting his captaincy it's part of his captaincy um, seeing people to escape pods and things like that. So in some respects, this is this is all kind of character work. This is all re-establishing. They're a ship that have been in space for a while and the crew that know each other and a captain that now cares about more than just himself. Mm. So it works. But actually, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. I was a little bit surprised it was as short as it was, actually, because it felt like it was going on. So I did a time check, and I was like, oh, only 32 minutes, okay. It's it does busy, for it's a long, quite a busy first hour, isn't it? There's a lot going on. But I, I quite like the, uh, the the way that the ships were kind of designed, where they kind of they bang into the hull and then they open up. That was, that was nicely done. But obviously, so much of it is for him to go and find the uh, the artefact. I think the problem with this... And, and this is not this film's fault. This is just passage of time. When we lost the Enterprise at the end of Star Trek Three, that was ostensibly, although it wasn't, it was ostensibly the same ship we'd had since 1966. Mm. So I think there was more emotion in it than some ship we've only had for a few years, and it was kind of not that beloved anyway. Having said that, the absence of a ship in the rest of this film does have a little bit of an effect on me as a viewer, just because I think of the Enterprise as a character. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and and when you don't have the Enterprise, it has to be something special, like the Voyage Home. 
Oh yeah, I mean that that is kind of almost the because I thought about that earlier because I like that film, but I think that's mm. kind of the exception that proves the rule, as they say. Yeah, I think the whole idea of the end that's what sort of put me against it initially. The after the Enterprise getting destroyed, I just felt like oh, you kind of that's part of Star Trek, isn't it? So it's like why lose the the technical part of what Star Trek is, you know? Um, but I again, I think it kind of works rather well anyway. Again, that's, that, that, that's the thing about, about these films, though, and, and you can't fault... I mean, obviously, Justin Lin is, is doing so much of this of the stuff with, with Kirk and the kind of the ground because of the, the TOS kind of stuff that, that would have happened with. Um, hence why in TNG, um, Riker did all the awaitings. Um, but with so little time with Kirk in the chair... And considering, I mean, you've made the point before, Dave, about him not fitting in the chair and those scenes, especially in the the first film. And so where you've got a film that is ostensibly about someone being um, tired of the experience they're going through, there's very little about actually showing them going through that. Oh, I agree. But... Kind of... At the same time, there's a few shots in it. I mean, on, on previous viewings, I've already talked about a later scene with the Franklin. Um, but there's also scenes with him and Chekhov as they get try to get to the wreckage of the Enterprise, where there's just a subtle stillness to Chris Pine. Because mm. he's quite a busy actor, just generally. He's just a busy actor. You, I mean, you. I always think back to something like... Um, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now started off with um, Willard being played by uh, Harvey Keitel. Mm. And Harvey Keitel actually shot for a week or two. And they actually said he's too busy. It needs an actor that just watches, a very passive figure. And I always feel like Chris Pines is a very active presence. He's always moving. He's always doing something. And it's only in this film that he's like learned to, or at least within the Star Trek films he's been in, it's only in this film he's learned to like do nothing. And yeah. I like I like that that like there's a stillness to him, and he now do, he now feels like the, the captain that they get to a wreckage, and I believe that everyone would look to him to see see what they should do next. Whereas in the first film he was a much more active presence who would just turn and say, right, I know what we should do. It's like when well, no one asked you. <laughs> <laughs> now they would look at him. Now they would look at him automatically. Yeah, he's a, he's much more like calm, collected this time around. He's very much shy. It's quite subtle because he ostensibly looks yeah. looks very similar. He hasn't. He's yeah. aging quite well. But there are these little. This is why like he human old, C- old. This is why human CG is so bad. Because like. That all these little subtleties you could almost not notice. That way, he's wearing a wig. His wig's not very good. <laughs> Still, it's not the it's worst. Wig in, it's not the worst wig in the film. That belongs to Simon Pegg. No, it doesn't. Although Simon Pegg's ain't Simon Pegg's ain't good. I think he borrowed Spock's is terrible. Spock's is terrible. Spock's is the worst wig. I think this time he is. I mean, because I think for the first film it was like his own hair, and then I think the yeah the last couple of films he has had. 
toupee. Uh, but yeah, this is pretty much we go, we go. <laughs> they put the crown in the wrong place. It's way yeah, too Yeah, it, it looks weird. It's like, yeah, it needs to be further. And, and it's too thick as well. And I'm only yeah. he's not running around like he was at the end of the last film. No, he's not flopping around. Be, he has to like, be, hold on to it. It, it, like, uh, it would uh, be uh, bouncing around like a Timothee ad. <laughs> but anyway we best get a bit more into the plot they, they're down on the planet what happens next this is also, it's kind of like a busy busy first hour isn't it? there's a lot going on you haven't really got time to sort of catch your breath so, so you've a, got a um, so you've got kirk and Chekhov and uh kalara the uh the secret is she isn't she of is course she, she, she is yeah it's um, gonna be, you know it. Yeah, trying to trying to get to the Enterprise. What shrimp then head? You've, yes. <laughs> um, then you've got. Yeah, she has very unique features. Spock and McCoy. Spock really, really injured. That's really quite a nice scene. I do like the scene that obviously Spock and McCoy spend a lot of time in this film together. I do think because they're really, in terms of their characters, they're quite sort of opposites, aren't they? I think. Um, but I do, I do love how Zachary Quinto and um, Carl Evan play play the scene together it's one of my favorites in the whole film i i can tell they've that justin lynn or i think it's justin lynn yes but when i watch bock and he's he's being walked along by um mccoy and mccoy says something about you know i didn't know you cared or something like that and spock says something along the lines of my respect for you should have been clear he did a he didn't spot it was a one-liner and b even if he had he didn't. He doesn't understand that. Like um, McCoy has plenty of respect for him, and it reminds me of the Galileo Seven. Yeah. It reminds. It reminds me of original series. The original series episode where Spock did everything completely logically and could not understand why others weren't getting him, and that takes a Star Trek fan to put onto the screen. Yeah, you've got that kind of extra level of understanding there from Lynn and, and likes of Peg as well. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I think they can write the next film. Um, just so much better. Well, we, well, yeah. Comparison to last time, I kind of felt this was like really smart move to kind of like split everyone up into like sort of their own little double, like sort of group yeah. like pairs. It's like it, it kind of like a it gives us like a little different flavour uh, of like it's like oh oh what's nice surprise we've got like Kirk and Chuckle like hanging around together for a bit. Uh, and it's nice to see um, Spock and uh, Bones sort of like t- together. You know, it makes a nice change for Robert making it the Spock and Kirk show. You know, as as it was the last two films. It's you know, it it, it breaks the character. It gives everyone like something to do. It makes gives everyone like a little bit of like a you know bit more screen time together. Um, and it allows it to to, to Spock and McCoy's um, relationship to develop more as well. Yeah. Uh, definitely being part of, part of the three. Yeah, definitely. It's such really a key. Nice. It's such a key part of the three because more than any other interrelationship in that three, when you get them in a room, it's more often Spock and McCoy sniping at each other than any yeah. other combination. They talk to each other almost more than any other two combination in in combination. Do you know what I mean, Charlie? And usually, and Kirk has to calm them down. And certainly yeah, can't bo- it's, can't it, it's normally it's normally it's normally spot talking and basically um McCoy getting more and more pissy. <laughs> yeah, you think of the you think of the um 
Wrath of Khan. Um, the yeah. Wrath of Khan is, is a perfect example. The, the scene. He's talking about logic, man. Genesis. <clears throat> you, yeah, or, you, you must be in control of your emotions. It's like, you green blooded. Or the scene at the end of uh, A Mock Time on the bridge. Um, and yeah, there's those, those kind of moments. And that's uh, so much of what Star Trek finally is in this film that was missing, which yeah. is just. Great to see. Spock's injured. Yeah. And the way he deals with it. And of course, there's an underlying theme of mortality here as well, because uh, Spock has learned that uh, Leonard Dimoy's Spock, if you like, has died. Yeah. He learns that before they actually leave the station, though he's not revealed it to any of the crew. Um, and he split up with Uhura. And he split up with Uhura, we find out. Because basically he's concerned about the future of the Vulcan species. So he thinks he needs to... I think basically we can dress this up, but he thinks he ought to go and bang some Vulcan women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep, keep the bloodline pure kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, she, uh, and, and Uhura doesn't support this, the bitch. Shocking, <laughs> <laughs> shocking. It's it's it, it, it's a moral purpose. I can't see a problem. <laughs> I see where he's coming from. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, we all know where he's coming from. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. That adds a degree. But again, it's it's all dealt with much more subtly. Look into darkness. They were fighting like cat and dog, and we yeah. had to watch this, and oh. it was rubbish. It was a bit this pissy, is wasn't it? Much going on here. They are first and foremost professionals, and the fact that they've split up not affect the fact that Spock still really cares about her. And not only that, he might be a man of um, logic and, and sense, but at the same time, he's like most people would be. He's not completely sure of himself. He's not completely sure of his decisions. He's like, should I do this? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like what Kurt's going through as well. There's, like, there's that parallel between the two as well. There's He's, uh, he's still unsure whether he should give up the captaincy, he's like almost like reluctantly. He's he doesn't he doesn't know, he just knows something isn't right and something he's not feeling right and he doesn't know what it is. So um there is that nice sort of power opportunity too as well. Yeah, Kirk hasn't decided. Yeah. Kirk Kirk this film is about Kirk making the decision for himself. Yeah. In previous films it was made by him but as a result of goading or circumstances or trying to make something of himself but he wasn't sure. Um, this film is about Kirk actually deciding for himself. Um, and that's why he's pissed off on the starship. He's pissed off on a starship because effectively he hasn't decided to be on a starship. And this film is about him bonding with his crew, understanding it's not all about the ship and actually learning what he wants. And that it's not just about his dad which concerns me with the next film when they talk about bringing back George Kirk, because again, this series seems to be brilliant at dealing with things we already dealt with in the last film. Yeah, it, it, this, I mean, it does seem to be like this Kirk is one of all the daddy issues. <laughs> you know, um, like, I, I do feel like, I mean, I'm with you, Dave. I'm, like, I'm not sure I want to see Kirk's dad come back in like a time travel thingy. I don't know what they're, what, yeah, what they're doing. I'm a bit bad. But yeah, the detail. You know, I'm not. I'm not ruling it out. But my worry is that this film was all about stepping out from the shadow of his father. Now, it was handled quite subtly because we didn't have constant mentions of my dad all the way through. It was only 
during that bar scene. But this is about him stri- striking out as Jim Kirk, not George Kirk. Mm. Mm. Having done that, what's the point in getting George Kirk back? We had this last week with Into Darkness that so many of the films Charlie kept saying, well, they've learned nothing from last week. So it's all about them learning it again. It's like every Shrek film was him learning to like enjoy what he's got. It's like, well, okay, you've learned that four fucking times now. And I, I do wonder whether it's a good idea, but certainly as presented in this film, I buy it and I think it's dealt with quite um, sensibly. So where do we go to next then? Well, let's talk about the villain first. <coughs> we meet the villain first, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Crawl. Now, I don't know if it's working with Charlie on these shows, but I'm pissed off with it all being about the villain every fucking film. <laughs> yeah, I know. Jesus Christ. And that might be you, Charlie. I may have just absorbed that from you because it never bothered me watching them in the first <laughs> place. But as soon as we got to Beyond, I was like, oh, it's all about the villain again. And and this is the one bit of the film that feels like they wrote it in a hurry. We yeah. have to have a villain. I couldn't give a shit about this guy, could you? Well, no. I don't. I think his part is underwritten. And I think because he isn't actually the focus, so I don't think it is all about the villain this time. I think that the film needs something for the uh, the crew to fight against and something to overcome. So, I, know, I, mean, I don't know what you'd put in place if you didn't have someone doing what wanting to destroy your town or do something whatever it is you have to give them something to overcome so i kind of understand i'm not convinced that there's a way around what i'm saying here but at the same time i think that they come up with a villain whether the situation demands it or not Mm. We go back to Insurrection, you didn't need Rafa. And in so many ways, you didn't need that character. Eric Banner was not necessarily needed in 09, because that's no. not what the film was around about. So just spitballing here. So let's just say you take out uh, the villain here. And so what you say, basically the Enterprise gets destroyed by, what, a meteor shower or something? And crash in all land. honesty, Chris. In all honesty, Chris, you're right. I don't know that the film was written can get around it, but I think because the villain is slightly underwritten, to say the least, it ends up showing up the folly of this whole approach. In that you're looking at it, and we're interested in where are the crew now? What yeah. are they up to? What are they finding out about themselves and their mission? Where are Starfleet, etc.? But because you got a cram in the villain and you don't have a lot of time to write this, it feels really <clears throat> half-assed. But that's, that's, the, that's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. That's the thing. So you could have it where the Enterprise crashes, for whatever reason, on this planet. Say so you, you have Kirk and Chekhov, you have Spock and McCoy, and you have Scotty and Jayla, and then something happens with the rest of the crew, where they're, they're trapped or something like that. Um, and so you can have more time there to develop the relationships between these characters and to work together and then they can find the Franklin and they can use the Franklin to get off. That can be their obstacle to actually get yeah. off the planet. The Franklin's not that sexy, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... It's I'm not those, sure it would get me off. <clears throat> it is one of those NX class... Um, saucy they are yeah. um, but but you, but you know there'll be like some sort of like douche, douchebag aliens about and fuck it like no, but Charlie hits Charlie hits on a point there though because yeah. well that's where I was going really with like 
you know, if, if you, you add look at it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. I think that's more in line with the TV version of this. But yeah. at the same oh, yeah. time, at the same time, he has a point. Is there not enough um, tension in the fact that Scott Spock is gravely injured, and they don't have like a craft? Yeah, I think and stuff like that. I, and Kirk has to marshal a crew, some of which have died, the rest of which are scared, and he doesn't know if he's the man for the job. It I, could be that the, the, the thing to overcome is Jayla. She could be her and people of her race on the planet that they need to kind of overcome. This is because this is what I thought was going to originally happen was that they would have to work together to kind of to kind of help save the day. And that would be in fitting with the, the the first contact, the new life and new civilizations, and be have it being about exploring as well as getting the character development that comes with the different people come um, split over the different parts. Yeah, and I think also when you look at it, Chris, you've got like it, the thing is, I mean, if this was reality as we understand it, any new planet you go to it would have problems with um indigenous life forms that would be dangerous yeah it would have problems with viruses and all that sort of thing if you dump them without their technology so that they can't scan it properly they don't know where they are and they don't know how to get off the planet i certainly think that there is something there that could really really work and again, I mean, this is the thing, I mean, where I mentioned a long time, maybe it was when we were talking about Khan, I don't know, where there was a point where after Khan that Star Trek started to be looked at as the same thing with Bond. Yeah, where but it the, suits Bond. It suits so, Bond better. So you get, so Star Trek film comes out, whatever happens, and then whatever months later they say, okay, we're going to do Star Trek film. 15 okay um so we might get chris hemsworth back and then people start thinking well who's going to be the villain yeah because of khan yeah because that formula I generally think it's not necessarily with for the fact that it's it's a khan thing i just think it's a typical movie thing you know it's like every particularly most films but it's blockbusters it needs a villain generally speaking uh, and I think where people, I think most, I mean, I think Trek fans would be happy if it didn't necessarily have their villain. It had the, if you, it was like the Trek film that you described, more or less. Um, but you have but, to appeal beyond yeah. that. Yeah. And I think yeah. that when you, when people, when the, when a studio is spending money, they kind of, we need like a villain because we need like something to give audiences who not, who not necessarily Trek fans. So that's why I, I really like about the film. It kind of, it kind of balances like to, to keep the Trek fans happy well. But I will agree, the villain is the weakest part. I will agree. I think the problem is not that there's a villain in every one of these films. It's a bit like Bond with the quips. It's like it has to be there whether there's a good one or not. And they clearly hadn't thought through the villain. They thought, you can tell this film has thought about Kirk and his journey. It, they've thought about Spock and his journey. They've thought about the crew being stranded without the Enterprise on a planet they don't know. They've also thought about the idea of thinking that planet is uninhabited um, or, sorry, uncharted by the Federation and turns out not to be. The one bit in all of this that doesn't look thought through is the villain. Mm. And on that basis, I kind of think cut it. Not because 
you can't have a villain here, of course you could. But it feels the most crowbarred in. Yeah. It's not okay. that he shouldn't be here. It's that he shouldn't be here in this state. I actually agree with you there. Uh, I do think villain is the weakest part of it. Uh, m- m- largely due to Cat Two, his character's been under- underdeveloped, and, and it's uh, not yourself. Yeah, it's well, he's uh, he's he's up against it for most of the time. He's acting through he- like heavy amounts of makeup and a mask, essentially, which mm. he's he's going to find difficult to to act through. Uh, especially when, for the majority of film, he's just alien bad guy 101, and then it's only at the end of the film where he's actually given some meat to work with, you know, as a villain. So, I mean, the the films that you, that, that you described, I think, I mean, the idea of them just getting stranded on a planet and yet somehow, like, working, so, like, some sort of, like, mending some sort of uh, antagonistic problem on the planet while trying to figure out how to get off the planet itself is probably more akin to Star Trek, so that in itself is probably a better idea to kind of I like I don't think you sell it as well though. Yeah, no, I don't play one. But... I think I think it's I think it's what me and Charlie want as opposed to what the general public would want. Yeah. But at the same time if you get this deep into it, I, I whatever you think of Simon Pegg, I don't think he's stupid. They've written enough in this that I think they know what they're doing. Mm. And I think I think if you got a couple of beers in jo- Doug Young and Simon Pegg and got them openly talking about it, even they'd admit that the villain isn't kind of there. I, I mean, to be fair, and you know, and, and we have said it, you know, this they did have to like work quick on this. So you're gonna spit a few patches things here and there. So for the most part, I think they got the important stuff down. You know, they did. They really so, did. Yeah. So, like, if 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 I think if even if it was you and me, admittedly, if like you know, I mean, even like for me, who's not necessarily a, a huge Trek fan, I would even say the character has to be right first and foremost. Like, you need need to get that down. The villain is expendable because he'll be like killed off by the end of the film anyway, so it won't matter. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And so all that right. So they have yeah. things to say with the characters, and they've magically managed to write in the authentic voices of these characters as we've known them for all these decades. Becca, what did you think of Kral? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it yourself, but I think obviously fan of um, Nufa. As well. <laughs> <laughs> if you've not seen this detective series, those things I highly recommend you Exfoliate your skin. Nufa! <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> They're great, aren't they? <laughs> They're amazing. They, they really do exfoliate the skin. <laughs> um, no, of course, I'm talking about BBC series Luther, um, which is, I was like, well, largely what, named. What, Superman's arch nemesis? He kills Superman whilst keeping his skin looking good. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and he wears a wig, don't you, you know? Then <laughs> <laughs> the character of this movie is basically all about like bad makeup, bad wigs, just the whole shebang. Um no, I just was well, like in um I've even forgotten the name of the film, like previous, you know, where we've had like like F. Abraham, for example. I'm not surprised yeah. you forgot that because you fucking hated it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm not a big fan. But it's a I, think, I think most of us snore through that film anyway. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad we're not doing commentary of it. We'll do a sleep through of it. Jesus. Um, Join us I mean, for a sleepover. What you hear is just Anyway, to get back to the original question. Um, well, no, just to compare, because you've got you know great actors like let's say trying to act his way through layers and layers of makeup. Thankfully, it doesn't repeat itself here. As a villain, I think it, it, it puts in a 
you know, fantastic performance. He has, he has quite a lot of makeup to act through. Um, I think it's quite interesting. There's a story about how his face changes and his physicality changes. Um, and it's quite, it's, it's terrifying to think where those changes come from. Um, in terms of his character arc, I think there's a lot of interesting backstory, as we mentioned earlier, Chris, um, which could have been, which only kind of mentioned in the last third of the film. And a little bit more of that could have been built up earlier on in the film as well. Um, like and, in terms of his stature, he's, like, sure, he's physically menacing. And I'm pretty sure that video that you is watching is like they, that 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 reveal of um, of, of Kral or, or, yeah. or Edison. It's like, hang on, that wasn't there no before. No fucking chance. <laughs> that, that wasn't there <laughs> before. Minute. You couldn't see that before. <laughs> no, you just you just like no, you just made that. Like, yeah. That's new footage. Surely. She rewinds it a couple of times. Uh, she rewinds it a couple of times, doesn't she? And it's like, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hang on, that, that wasn't was there before. <laughs> no, there's some other dude in the in the front, but hold on a minute, he just comes out the back. Um, he appears <laughs> out of nowhere. Sorry. Hi. <laughs> um, How would you recognise that as him as well? Yeah, that's no, that's it. I think. Yeah, it's kind of gradual realization, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's kind of. It's not. She spots him in the background and goes, "That's that guy." That's that one. But I think it's it's kind of a twist that isn't really a twist. I mean, I saw it at the cinema, and mm. I mean, I didn't do kind of much reading around it. Um, you know, beyond the fiftieth anniversary, things like that. And it's kind of it's a twist that isn't really a twist. I mean, it's not like well, it's not like it, you know up there with one of the trailers, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. That's it. I mean, it's, it's not up there with you know the kind of. Yeah, it's carnal, you know, that sort of thing. It's oh, not yeah, that bad. Yeah, not, it's not a great twist. It's, like it's not, it's not in, in that sort of, no. What <laughs> quiz? He's actually Bluefield. No. <laughs> oh, God, you pick all the classics. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's in not, that. It's not, as, it's not as good as Terry Hatcher's slapping Pierce. I, I, I do <gasps> like, even though it's not like um, on the bigger scale, but it's more or less the same thing as they did with Into Darkness. They pretty much did like, here's <laughs> <laughs> the villain, his name is Krull. And then like, actually, no, he's another character. <laughs> You've never heard of a quick kiss back. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, that element of it is a little bit rushed for me. But no, I think you know, I've really shines in the role to speak the layers of makeup he has to go through. Um, how he obtains that power is that, that one particular scene where you kind of see him drawing the you know the life source um, from other people is I, I wince every time I watch that, that scene. I just have to look away. Um, it's physically imposing, and it's quite good to get like a really hands on a hands on villain. Um, and the fight scene that he has at the end just. You know, you kind of feel like, whew, you know, at the end of it all. But um, no, overall, I like him as a villain. Um, some script elements are a little bit like, mm. and also kind of I like the pattern of speech that he has as well. And he kind of gets kind of more can I can't even speak how ironic, <laughs> more coherent as he goes along. Like, um, yeah. I think it's very interesting. As the words you were trying to say were more coherent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, they were. <laughs> he does get some good lines of dialogue as well, doesn't he? He does get some good does, dialogue, yeah. like when they cut he the. They cut the Enterprise in half. It's like cut its neck or cut its throat, and it just you know. Cut its throat. Yeah. Um, that's... He's got like no remorse about it whatsoever. He's just right. That's it. You know, you, you suckers are going to pay for letting me rot in space, basically. Um, yeah, like the kind of I was thinking. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the actress. I didn't quote in the beginning, um, but he plays Jailer. Obviously, that kind of the language. Well, that's she... where we're going next, actually. Sophia um, Brutella. That's the one. Yeah, because she's, she's in Kingsman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, she is. Um, and Unrecognisable, obviously. And the new mummy as well. Yeah, you know, uh, oh, coming right. out this year. A star on the rise. How about that? Is she the one that said he can have anal? <laughs> oh no, that that was the um, Princess of Sweden or whatever it was. She was the one with the. Um, yeah, she was the. She was so the main was the one with the 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 no feet, the kind of running okay. on plates. Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, she's the Blade Runner. 
but I kind of I like the kind of similar um, speech patterns that they have, obviously because obviously she's French and it's kind of like broken English almost. Mm. Um, and before, obviously before. with um, with, with Kral, it's kind of the point of where he's coming from. He's obviously started off human, um, and he's kind of again this is going to sound really horrible, but it's not. But there's now this kind of like otherness kind of like thrust upon him, and I think it's in terms of the speech pattern that he, that he uses, I think is really interesting. Yeah. But anyway, that was my original thoughts on that question. <laughs> In a very roundabout way, yes, I like No, it. no, because I, I, I was the one who took it in a different direction because Charlie was about to talk about Jayla. I actually think this is um, really important because before we go into the character herself, they can't have known this when they were making the film because the tragedy that happened af- happened afterwards. Anton Yelchin finished making this film and was killed in a freak accident at his home a, a couple of months afterwards. That said, I can say... Car, wasn't he? Yes, I can see Jayla replacing him, though. Mm. I think she will be sat, you know, right beside Sulu in the next film, if the next film happens. Charlie, what do you make of Jayla? Or you asked the question, didn't you? Or do you want to take... No, yeah, no, I I thought she was a really good character. It was nice to have another strong female character. And I guess she took a bit of the the film away from Uhura. Um, being the, uh, the the primary female character in the film, but in a much better way than uh, Tara Marker's in Into Darkness. Yeah, it was a bit of a uh, breath of fresh air. I, I, I did I did find it. She had like a nice sort of like a fun, a like, hoppy kind of like vibe about her, which is kind of like you know. But but while at the same time being intelligent and being almost like a, a good female character, so. If she is in the next film, will be a, a nice actually addition to actually have like a female alien character in there that's uh, that's actually competent and can actually do stuff. You know, she's actually she can help Scotty with a. With See, making I, I, stuff I and, don't think anyone w- would want what happened to Anton. No, 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 no. So, so put, I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. But forgetting what happened, if she were to be Anton Yelchin and therefore Chekhov's replacement then it's actually the best possible um, reflection of the whole point of a new timeline, that you go in a different direction. You know, you shouldn't have literally the exact same crew you had. There should be the odd difference and the odd Mm. difference in dynamic. And the problem is, even myself and Charlie have got like uh, uh, caught up in going, well, that's not how they behave and that's not how they behave. Well, that might be true because in the cases we are talking about, the same characters often with the same backgrounds but at the same time it's supposed to be different enough that those sorts of comments are are kind of irrelevant they haven't done that so far so bringing jailer on board wouldn't would would be positive i don't think it'd be a negative at all yeah it's good to have obviously you've got a hero as well but have um you know female character she kicks some butt in this film say that again if like she kicks some butt in this film (laughs) basically that's that's my feelings on that character in that line, she does kick some really ass. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, the fight scene—I I can't remember the name of the alien who she fights. Um, yeah, she has a real sort of sense of physicality about her. You know, she can cope perfectly fine on her own. Thanks very much. And she, you know, she basically saves Scotty from certain doom. Uh, but yeah, she's—I think um, I've got a fun fact coming about her coming up later on at the end. Um, but no, it's really good to have kind of like a you know female character who can cope with sort of I know both sort of physically and emotionally and psychologically as well. Really good performance there as well. Yeah, I could do that. Scotty mugging it up, to be honest with you. I could That's do... That's like the, the one bit that kind of 
<clears throat> well, I've never been that sure about the right th- this person for that role. Yeah. But at the same time, even if you accept what this Scotty is, it, it's what you were saying about Bones last time. They've taken the character, and or the character from this universe anyway, and massively dialed it up. Yeah, to the comic relief. Yeah. And and it's not funny. No. I don't, I don't not... know what it is about Star Trek, because Simon Pegg's a funny man, and he's been in lots of funny stuff. But Star Trek as a universe, for some reason, can't do fucking comedy at all. And I, I love it, and I like I like comedy, and I love Star Trek, but they don't go together. Not really. The original crew could sort of do it sometimes. Yeah, kind of. Once he got older, he got a bit more of the comic comic relief. But I miss the, the Scotty who would climb up a tiny fucking Jeffrey's tube to be to try and fix something um, desperately so something on the Enterprise could work instead of hanging around with fucking Deep Roy. <laughs> yeah, but I think I've got nothing, nothing against nothing against him, but it's like why? I mean, he's, he's kind of like comic relief, but you don't really need to be there, sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, nothing against Deep Roy, amazing actor, but Keynes is a little bit mm, superfluous. Is it the fact that you got Simon Pegg, so he has to be a little bit funny? Well, of course. I mean, yeah. it would be. can do it without Well, I think yes, you're absolutely right, and, and Simon Pegg's doing what he's hired to do, and he's he's not doing it wrong. Mm. So it, it's not so much that. It's just the fact that, A, Star Trek, for whatever reason, is not very good at comedy. And secondly, no. Scotty, you'd almost laugh at him a little bit because he was so intense. That this, I mean, Scotty fucking got into a fist fight with Klingons who were massively stronger than us because they, they, they insulted his ship. Yeah. You know, that's Scotty. It's not kind of... This is a strange take on it, but I'm happy to accept this is a different take. But even allowing for that, it, after the shit he's coming out with isn't funny. And also, why is he saying Lassie every two seconds? He's not The writer is married to a Scott woman. He should know better than this. And when and when when they when they when they catch up with Kirk and Chekhov, and he says, "These are my mates. This is Jim." That's just, there's still a chain of command there that's, that's not being taken care of. Yeah, but don't forget, you've got this woman who knows nothing of Starfleet. Oh, I know. And I is know. probably a bit nervous. I think she probably would still like acknowledge, oh, he's a captain, he's in charge of the same levels of... You could at least make an argument that to put her at her ease, this is Jim, and this is... You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah but I, I just think it just kind of feels like i don't think it plays like that though because it because in the way you no, say yeah, it, yeah. Like, like it doesn't i'm i'm defending the indefensible yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't play right at all yeah just saying, it kind of almost turns into this little kind of romance thing but is it they never kind of carry it out properly so it kind of it's always kind of feels very kind of strange but it's kind of interesting when when they get when they actually find the ship when she takes them back to it yeah which is basically our house she lives on the franklin hmm which I think is kind of cool. A lot of people complained about the Franklin because it's NX, whatever it is. And it's the first Warp 4 ship. And it went missing about 10 years after the <laughs> NX-01 Enterprise, which was the first um, Warp 5. But it's not in the film, but I have heard explanations around this from the writers. They knew exactly what they were doing here. The NX numbering is, is like a renumbering of it later on. Yeah, um, I'm okay with that. It's absolutely fine. 
Um, but it turns out that they, they've they've gone to the Enterprise to basically scan to find out, and it turns out Kral has taken most of the crew, and they basically find the Franklin as a way to get off the ship, uh, get off the planet. Mm. The plot's actually relatively thin, but doesn't matter. And again, it feels like something TOS. Like, Captain, we've found this. It's an old Federation ship. Okay. Could... And yeah, that's... okay, what do we do about that then? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you got the, uh, the Scotty, spectacle... Scotty, do your stuff. Yeah, you got the old spectacle of, like, oh, well, how do we get it into um, orbit? I don't know, let's just do what they did in Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah, at least they don't, like, jump off the cliff after it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite funny. Catch it up. <laughs> Yeah, well, Kirk, Kirk does That's get on a, on a bike at and one they, point. They jump so. off a cliff in bright sunshine and catch up with it in snow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Goldeneye, what an overrated load of old bollocks you are. <laughs> That's obviously being more fun. That's immediately where my mind jumps to in the scene as well. But I think they're also taking, I mean, the same with Bond as well, they're also taking a massive risk. So they don't, you know, don't know if, if it's a big enough drop for them to be able to pull up again afterwards. <laughs> And I like just, that. I'm, I'm literally it's on tenterhooks at this bit. I'm like, oh, you know, well, it's, like, like, it's, it's do or die, but, isn't it? It's like, well, you know, yeah, it's actually that question you hit on the point, right? When people talk about Kirk being reckless, he's not fucking reckless at all. The whole point of Kirk is he will take risk. a seemingly risky decision if there's no choice, based, risk, based on the balance of is it likely to be successful? No. They believe this is likely to be successful. Yeah. They're not there's there's no way of knowing until they do it. And that is A, what exploration is all about. You don't know till you get there. But that's also what Kirk is. That's what Kirk has always been. It's never been about running into a room full of people holding guns, screaming and shouting. That's not what Kirk is, and that's not how this yeah. film presents the crew at all. And you got to give the situation. It's like, okay, well, this is our only way of getting off this planet. We have mm. to get off now uh, to tr- at least try <laughs> and stop the Krell from destroying Ota, or we just stay here, twill our thumbs, and 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 and, lay, and just wait. Well, but just... having said that, Chris, though they they never have written this in. Yeah. But let's say for some bizarre reason, it was written in that they went, well, it's just not possible. That drop just is not far enough. Yeah. They, they wouldn't have gone, well, we got no choice to fucking do it anyway. It is purely, we think this is likely to work. And it's that, that balance of risk that the old series crew are always taking. And you see that even in like Star Trek 4. Where well, yeah. Spock yeah. guessing. I've got to take my best guess. Actually, Spock kind of, kind of knows he's right. Oh, yeah. But he can't know for certain. You know, and I, I just find um, that, that there's a lot of misunderstanding. And you can tell Justin Lin's a fan. He's, he's got his yeah. characters absolutely bang on. Right down to the point that where he says, can you fly this thing? And Sulu says, are you kidding me, sir? Well, that old old Sulu says that on the bridge of the Excelsior. Yeah. Yeah, it's another callback, isn't it? Are you kidding? I think it is anyway. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. No, it is. You're right. Yeah. Make it, if you can fire Huey, then... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um, from now on, I do start getting a little bit more bored with this film because it's once again my fucking Achilles heel that it just descends into action and I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah. The bit, the bit where they drop's really, really good. But the bit before that with the whole motorcycle thing, I don't have a philosophical problem with it like some people do. Well, this isn't Star Trek. Well, it isn't Star Trek because so couldn't have done it in the 60s. 
could have been Star Trek. I don't have a problem with it. Just not that excited by it. My only problem is the whole the hologram thing. Is just it's just a bit like oh well, that will do. But there's no real like logic to it. It doesn't work because you're going over uneven ground. So when you watch him and he's bumping up and down, that wouldn't work as copies. Well, even like when she's fighting the, those guys, you know, uh, you know when when she beat, beats uh, Scotty at one moment, like the hologram beats up beats up someone and then disappears as soon as he tries to get hit. It's like hang on, how's this working? Like. You know, I, I buy that hologram would be like a distraction. They wouldn't actually understand which one they're actually fighting. But to actually kind of like, I know, I just multiply myself into four or five different people and then disappear at will. It's just a bit, I'm not quite sure where the logic is in that. But that's my only issue with it. I do expect flaws. It's a flaw of this type of film. It's definitely been a flaw of this series, very like the Brosnan Bond films of time for an action sequence. But they've at least come up with something different. This was Simon Pegg's idea. Uh, he had to, because I think the first reaction of fans was typical Justin Lin. But Justin mm. Lin apparently needed some talking into this because he said, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm associated with ground-based vehicles. Um, but Simon Pegg thought it was a good idea, or Simon Pegg and Dunn Young did, and he, they managed to talk him into it. It's not brilliant, yeah. but it's fun. None of it's none of it's brilliant from now on. It's a uh, you know Yorktown. We at least saw it. We at least saw that people's yeah. are there, like Sulu's. Mm. Star Trek fans never cease to fucking amaze me. That oh, the, whole, the whole point of Star Trek is infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And you've got people talking about, for example, the forthcoming Discovery. Going, oh, it's just fucking liberal bullshit. I'm not going to watch it. Cut. They've just got to have you know minorities for the sake of it. You've totally misunderstood what Star Trek is. What? Why are you even watching this series? And it's the same with with this as well. That you know, um, yeah, you just get those sorts of arguments about this series all the time. Yeah, people saying it was a whole a whole gay agenda thing. Gay agenda thing. That's where I was going with that. That, that Sulu and his partner. Oh well, yeah, that yeah. Um, yeah. So throwaway. It, it doesn't matter here or it's neither here nor there. Yeah, I should mean, should it have been there? Should it not? You could argue all night about from a storytelling perspective, but the idea that Star Trek fans are getting annoyed about it tells me yeah. that there are fans of this series that fundamentally do not understand what Star Trek's about at all. George Takei got really upset by it, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of mixed on it. George Takei <clears> made the point that Gene Roddenberry did not envisage this character as gay but it's not that character that's not an unfair point but simon pegg made the point that (laughs) we thought it was appropriate to put a gay character in had we made it someone else that would we have had to introduce them just for the sake of making them gay and that would have been tokenistic so it's far better to have it with an established character um but in a throwaway fashion I don't disagree. I don't have a problem with it at all. It doesn't fucking matter. I, I think also with the fact that it's um, it's it the, like it's the the actor himself who originally played um, uh, Sulu is is, is gay, uh, and so it's a little bit of like I think that's oh, some okay. of the reason they chose him. Yeah, yeah that's why I was kind of thought his reaction was a bit strange. Yeah, I, no, I was no, I, I, I just, it just seems. It just seems a bit obvious. At least thought through his reaction. He did. He at least thought through. Why he had a problem with it? Yeah, George Takei would not have had a problem with a gay character in Star Trek. He was just making the point that, like, 
this just feels a bit uncomfortable. I think what he didn't say, but probably was thinking was, you've chosen this guy because I'm gay. Yeah, exactly. And the, character's, the character's not gay by extension. I don't think either side are wrong, actually. But the fact is, if you're going to put a gay character in, I kind of see Simon Pegg's point of like, well, do you want us to create a new character, go to the whole problem of showing he's gay, just for the tokenistic point of putting a gay character in? Surely it's much easier that we drop to somewhere like Yorktown and it's just it's just a detail. You could make Scotty gay. Yeah, Scott and Keenster. Yeah. That's why they've been together so long. Well, you know, but not necessarily that. Because especially if it's, he's, he's one of the writers, he'd say, well, you know, I'll make my character gay, fine, you know. But, uh, you know, you can argue about the, accusation, uh, the execution, you can argue about whether it should have been um, Sulu. Yeah. But I am baffled that there are Star Trek fans out there that have a problem with A, a gay character, and B, that we've got a forthcoming TV series that's got, like, a black female lead. I, I don't get that. I just think, like, what, yeah, what, you think, what do you think Star Trek is? Well, it's just a liberal agenda. Well, what was the 60s series then? When <laughs> that, they, they, that's they, that's they very true. They certainly didn't put a Russian, a black man, and an Asian on the bridge. Uh, sorry, a Russian, a black lady, and an Asian on the bridge for ratings. <laughs> I mean, like, the problem is, I mean, people get all very excited about it. I mean, at the end of the day... Let's just wait till Discovery actually comes out, and then we watch it and then you know what what was everyone arguing about? For me, the whole uh, Sulu thing, uh, I'm kind of a little bit mixed about it. My my gut feeling is, I don't think this needs to be in there. I don't see a reason why you have to make someone uh, one of the characters gay, but in how it's done, in its execution, it's done very well. It's done exactly how it should be. But my general feeling is, well, why? It's there, kind of there for the sake of it, really. I understand, but I just don't think it's actually necessary because the, we, we all know the characters. Cause but I don't... nothing's necessary, Chris. But, no. but do we? We do. Nothing, we nothing is necessary. What do you know about Sulu? When you look at Sulu, you know he had a daughter according to Generations. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that that's either adopted or biologically his or fathered with a woman or anything. There is not. I mean, it would be a shock if Kirk was suddenly gay. I grant you, for obvious reasons, that we've known the character as very, very into ladies. But the rest of them, I don't think that's been massively established at all. There was a thing, J.J. Abrams, the point he made when he when he was talking about Star Wars, with the fact that you look at these characters, you've got a female lead and you've got a black lead. And there was very much a point that Simon Pegg made about the wanting to make films for an audience where the the films themselves reflect the diversity of the world around them. And I'm very much in agreement with that. And I love, love that Sulu is gay. It, the, the fact that it's Sulu, I don't care. But the fact that there is a gay character in there is brilliant because it gives credence that if my son or my daughter ever want to be gay, then they can watch that and think, that's really cool. There's a gay person in Star Trek. They're like me. That happens so little at the moment in these kind of films, in these blockbusters, in these big Hollywood films, sci-fi, whatever, all these things where it's all about these big worlds and all about these different things. But the actual... it's Again, it's like... The whole thing about how they they took 
a wonderful black actor like Idris Elba and put him in Six Inches of Makeup. It's like needing for there to be represent proper representation of how the place actually is instead of the very narrow representation that these films give. And I think is it's especially now, especially the way you look at Donald Trump, you look at all the way the politics have gone this past year, there I think there is a responsibility for us to show, especially on Star Trek, again, infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Any any time you move away from what we're used to seeing, which is largely white, largely straight. It's going to look tokenistic, particularly when it's written by like straight people. I, I get all of that, but the fact is, um, there are gay people in the world, there are black people in the world, there are all, lots of different types of people in the world, and they aren't being represented. And if they are to be represented, Star Trek is absolutely the right vehicle for that sort of thing. That said, if you were going to put it on screen that Sulu suddenly has a really graphic love scene, you're suddenly like, well, I wouldn't object to that, but why? Yeah. Whereas actually they've just dropped it in and made nothing of it, which is actually the right way to do it. Mm. It's handled Absolutely. it's handled in totally the right way. Because you yeah. kind of see early on, you know, there's a scene where he's at the controls and you see he's got a wedding ring. And then later on you kind of see mm. um you know, see his partner and see his daughter and everything. It's just it's mm. subtle, yeah, it's dropped yeah. in, there it I, is. I, Move I, on. I, Chris, I don't think you're wrong. No, no, no. I, I mean, think that, like, I, I don't think you're wrong in that, like, what's the need for? But what I'm saying is you could ask that question about anything and we never I, expand the palette of what's there. I completely get why they, why they decided to do it. And I think how it's actually um, executed and it is the, exactly the right, the right way. Um, the one thought I had is, let's just say... It was just any like character, like any random character, like Kurt looks look, looks to the side and just see like a gay couple like walking hand in hand with a child, just briefly, you know, or, or or as brief as it is, it's not Sulu, it's it's someone else. Would that would you mean would, don't wreck on the characters? Just yeah, have homosexuality represented on that stage. Yeah, in that sort of the point taken without any sort of redconning of anything, or we're not not sort of okay, let's let's officially make Sulu gay for the yeah, sake of it. I, I get. I guess that's valid, and I think that probably would have been George Decay's point. But also, we're seeing heterosexuality throughout the film already. It's it's to have it's important to have that balance as well, from my point of view. So maybe I, this should be. I would like, I would not... say I'd say well, let's do that moving on because the way Star Trek is is it you know, it was it was part of its time. You're talking about characters who are already developed, and I mean I know the different timelines, so I suppose. There is an argument there. Yeah, but I um, wouldn't imagine a different timeline would change his sexuality. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. He, he, he we, knows. We no evidence, particularly she's, she's straight. Yeah. Know. Maybe he was bi all this time. We don't know. Um, I don't know. He might still be <laughs> bi. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I don't know that. But, um, you know, I, I just think, you know, it's like look, times change, so let's move on from the times. You know, I mean, I think, I think as as media goes on TV shows develop it's definitely heading more in that direction anyway so I have no doubt that in Star Trek and TV in other TV series moving on forward we will see more diverse uh, I get your point issues. that you, you can argue it much easier with Discovery that we've never met these people Yeah, I, I get what you're saying but all I'm saying because is because it's an established is, character Yeah, 
there's a lot of fans out there who are fucking furious that Discovery's like female lead and openly gay character in there somewhere. We know Discovery's got an openly gay character in it. We don't know much more than that at the moment. And it's like, yeah, well, it's all, it's like, well, let's fans, wait till we see how it's well, sort how it's worked yeah, but out. There's yeah. some fans that are furious already because they think it's just some kind of weird liberal agenda. Well, it's like it's like um, Finn in Star in Star Wars. I mean, exactly. and, and all the all the people that kind of boycotted Star Wars because there's a black person in it. Mm. That's ridiculous. I, I think, yeah, I there there is a little bit of that, sadly, and I think it gets a little bit whipped up into a frenzy of over a little bit. I think there are like. Some fans can be quite no, precious as well, can't they? I think I think the idea is, yeah, I, th- I think there is there is that as well. I think because you got people. There's argue, loads of it in Star on. Wars. There are white men giving it. This is ridiculous, and it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, it's so tough being a white man, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. The way I see it is, you know, it's like so long as the the right person is doing the right job, you know. I mean, it so happens that John Boyega in Star Wars is fantastic, so. You know, if, if if he was absolutely shit, then be like, they'd be like, well, why, why the fuck's he in the role? Like, <laughs> how like hire someone else who can actually, you know, do the role justice. Well, you like know, Hayden Christensen. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely more diversity. Moving on, anyway. So right, let's finish this shit off because I quite like this film, but it does descend into like I don't give a shit now. The action sequence <gasps> around uh, sabotage is okay. With the blowing up the crafts by stopping them talking to each other, mm. so they basically all crash into each other. That's kind of all right done, but it always ends up with Kirk and the villain. I mean, if the Wrath of Khan was made now, there'd be some fist fight on a bridge somewhere between Kirk and Khan. Yeah, there just mm-hmm. would be, and the film would be no better for it. They'll, they'll be like they'll be like a big starship crashing into San Francisco, spot beams. Oh no, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, no one sorry. Would, that's silly, Chris. It'll never <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, like, most I, I understand why. Have we mentioned, by the way, listeners, that um, Star Trek Into Darkness is fucking bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I get what everyone means by uh, by this, but to be honest, I think the film's kind of earned the right to do this at this point. I think it's kind of like, yeah, okay, let's have a little bit of fun. I think that that's why. Obviously, you got just an end behind this, obviously. Fast and Furious movies. As much as I, um, like as we've established already with our Bond series, I'm not Petrolhead at all. Um, that's what's so you know those films. They're so much fun. I mean, they're quite. You can switch your brain off. You haven't really got to think too much while watching them. They're so much fun, and that's what he brings to the suit. Apart from obviously being Chuck fan, um, the last third of this film is just you know you can you can have a good time. You can really enjoy it, and that's that's what I can really draw from this as well. I'm not going to look up on it too harshly. Um, you know, forgive it. You know, forgive it its flaws. Um, but you, yeah, it's quite enjoyable, and you can just sort of switch your brain off. I didn't like and have it much, a laugh. I have to say, but it's it's not that I've got some philosophical problem with it. I was just a bit bored. Just switch sure, off. Sure, sure. No, fair enough. I'm just really sick of this song. <laughs> yeah, sabotage. It's a, it's a poor song choice. Yeah, really, it's but... like well, play something else. Presumably, I mean, Christ, you haven't got a CD single, have you? Presumably, you got the album. Play something uh-huh. else. Yeah, well, they had the, the Public Enemy earlier, and then. I don't know what else. I, I'm, I don't know if this is Justin Lin or Simon Pegg's, um, or whether they, or whether they literally it's just become want to a call character back. beat. It's become a character beat for this Kirk. Yeah, yeah. Because like, because there's a lot of sort of like, uh, like reconciliation when you, when you sort of hears it. Oh, good choice, almost like. Uh, 
thing. So yeah, there's a little bit of glint in his eye, um, which I I, I kind of like. But but uh, don't call it classical music. <laughs> I wonder if there's a bit of sarcasm to that you know that line of dialogue. I think there's a bit of You don't know, Dave. It could be considered classical music in this universe. You know, it's you know it's it's a long long time away now. You know we. Like music this old could now could be new classical music. I don't know. All right, okay. <laughs> a new whole new genre. Like new romantics, like Spandau Ballet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's new metal. New metal. That isn't quite metal. I can't imagine that the 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 actual um, the definition of classical music will actually change. I don't think it will stretch. No, I didn't cover, get what I don't know. You know this. It's a bit like Red Dwarf. Uh, I stopped adoring classical music like Mantovani and Motet. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a joke in one of the Futurama episodes where he, where they say, "Stop playing classical music, Fry," and he's playing um, Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and this happens, and then the kind of Yorktown thing. I was kind of worried when they were doing the Yorktown thing, and and. and um, Idris Elba was reaching. I was worried they were going to do the the, the final act redemption, and they didn't. I was quite happy with. I liked how they touched on it. There was like a, a slight glint of possibility. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think you know they they didn't make him a comedy villain. He'd just been driven mad by being a man both out of time and out of um, yeah, his time had passed and, it, and his usefulness had gone as well. Um, I, I was quite impressed by that. I mean, there's things I don't like about it, but I was quite impressed by that. And the other thing I love, of course, is after we get through this pointless fucking action sequence I don't like very much, the crew, when they're together, have an easy ambience that you don't normally get overnight as they stand for four years at that window. They do take a long time, I must say. Ready to get back out there? Let's just watch this shit being built from scratch. That, that's... No, no, what, what you don't yeah. understand is like they're just really, really quick at building the starships. And it's... They've got nanobots doing it now. They're super fast, yeah. you know. It was built by the Flash. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favourite parts of the film. It feels like a very Justin Lin thing, which I really like. Yeah, I don't dislike it. It's just we know these things take a while to build. Oh, I know. And they're like, are you ready to get back out there? And then they stand and watch it (laughs) from scratch. It's it's a comic moment. It's a comic moment. On paper, this is the thing about execution, that on paper, had I read this scene where Jim had said, I don't want any fuss about my birthday, and he goes in and they've got a celebration going for him, and you've even got Spock smiling and stuff like that. I would just think that looks cheesy. It looks awful. That will never work. And actually, in execution, I think it's perfect. Part as well about Chekhov saying that whiskey was invented by uh, the Russians. Yes, I noticed that as well. Chris asked a few weeks ago about whether this um, uh, Chekhov was accurate, or, or you know, what the character beats of it were. And the character, the main character beat of Chekhov, because they didn't do an awful lot of development, was. Believing everything to have been Russian stroke Soviet in origin. Mm. And that's a callback to that. And you yeah. have to be a Star Trek fan to know to do that. I, I, do, I do like the delivery. It's like, uh, it was actually invented by a little lady in Russia. And the little more or less dialogue bit with, with Spock and Kirk was really nice. Again, it's not like, it's just done nice and subtly as well. It's just like, it's just like a nice. Yeah, it felt like Spock and Kirk have just been a part of the whole film. Yeah, and it, it's kind of it, it's actually really actually what's really kind of nice about it is you expect when it's 
when it's presented at the beginning of the film, you expect it to actually come up and then for both to have that that thing where they come out and say it to each other. But that never happens, but they kind of like already know. They just kind of... But, but all kind seeing of... Kurtzman, we'd have had to hear every fucking element of it. All seeing Kurtzman would have spelt it mm. out. But we, don't, but we don't need that. We just like, you know, we, we it's like the the actors just sort of like read each, other, read each other's like facial expressions and just kind of like, no, it's like, yeah, we just know. But again, you've got to have a bit of A, a brains and B, trust in your audience to do that. Yeah. I'm not saying it's wildly intellectual. Of course it isn't, but you've at least got a trust. Orsi and Kurtzman were always like, we best explain that. We best explain that. I'm pleased, and, and on, I think Becca said it earlier, if it's these two next time, particularly with a bit more time, I'm happy with that. Mm. Writing it. And also there's a bit with the uh, the end uh, where I, I did mention before with the whole, like, oh, uh, uh, admirals don't fly, do they? Or, or, or whatever it is, but there's also there's a nice little beat where he said, "Oh, well, you know, you, um, you," where she's like commending uh, Kirk on his bravery or his his act of, at the Valley City, and he and he, and he Wasn't said, "Just me." Yeah, and it's just like a it never is. And it's just and it and it's done so calmly, not like with uh, any sort of over gravitas or anything. It's it's just like matter of fact. And again, so, he doesn't have to name ten of his crew. He, 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 and how brave they well, are. Well. He doesn't, because he truly, he truly means everyone, every single member of my crew. I could not have done, you know. It's not. But just again, like... I'm contrasting it in my head with what bad writing would look like. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a long way round for me as a final thought to say that I'm not as engaged by this film as I'd like to be. It doesn't feel as essential as I'd like it to be. I don't think, in some respects, it pushes the universe on or draws anyone in. That's new. It is like a. Gl- glorified episode but at the same time oh and also on the negative and this is just time there are a couple of plot points that don't make an awful lot of sense but again that's time there's also some ropey cg that's time because the, where they've had more time on the previous two the cg's been flawless on the other hand the characters have found their voices and they found uh, you watch the special features to the first film and they talk about how They've honoured the original characters but found their own voices. And that's just blurb because they hadn't at that point. Some were doing an impression and some hadn't got it at all. At this point, they are now the characters, but their interpretation on the characters as well. So this is a very good film. It's better written. It's the best written of the three. I quite like the new Enterprise. We only saw a shot, couple of shots of it, and I don't know what the bridge will look like, but it's um, cleaner. It's a clean, elegant design. Even some little things in this, like the new warp effect, I like. And also the bridge, although it looks the same, they lit it slightly differently. So it's got a slightly more bluish look and it's slightly toned down. So I think I put the 2009 film above that, above this. But that's almost despite itself. I think in details, this is the best film of the three. So a a decent sort of thumbs up from me. I I think the new Enterprise is... is so much better than the previous ones. Oh, I agree. Oh, um, from the, it, it's better than the previous one here, you mean, I think. Or do you mean every Enterprise? Oh, yeah, no, every Enterprise in the reboot. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the Into Darkness one was vaguely different. I take your point, yeah. And yeah, yeah. The, it just it feels more natural. The, uh, the, it's elegant, the, isn't it? Yeah. The secondary hold doesn't stick out as much. And it feels, yeah, it feels much more robust as well. Yes. And yeah, and uh, and I really like the 
the way they all kind of go through the captain's oath. Oh, can we stop calling it that? <laughs> well, the, trouble is, Sorry. the trouble is, right, it's been called that. Even, even though we think it's fucking idiotic, I we're know. going, the captain's oath. <laughs> what are we going to call it? Well, I was, I was being sarcastic when I said that. but uh, What can we call it, Charlie? Um, the captain's... Uh, the charter? I don't know. Log? Um, I don't know. Speech? Captain's speech? Yeah. I bet it will come up with saying, this is the captain's oath. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, introductory speech. No. Uh, monologue. Yeah, introductory speech, there we go. Yeah, monologue. monologue okay. sound, yeah. Good enough. Well, not, right. Everybody says yeah. it. Captain's have a monologue. Take a line. <laughs> but it's normally the captain's monologue. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. What you were trying to say is you like the way they all get a bit of that each. Yeah. yeah. Well, it adds into the sort of, it's a team, isn't it? It's a really nice touching way. I think it's also that it's the 50th, Charlie. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Anniversary. it's the 50th anniversary. So it's the film so do. far. Again, it's almost, I don't know if it was conscious because J.J. Abrams was involved in this. And J.J. Abrams, I'm used to producers doing nothing, but on the special features or sort you know, producers where their directors staying on, I'm used to them doing nothing, not producers generally. But when you watch the special features, all the alien designs in that were run past the team that included abrams so he was hands-on in this but at the same time it almost feels like a repudiation of his films because his films were just spock and kirk weren't they yeah and he was not a fan in a way that justin lynn obviously is yeah they looked into this guy because they didn't hire him because he was a fan he that might have been what they got what gave him the nod that when they started talking to him they're like oh shit he loves it too yeah but they went to him because of the fast films yeah and uh, yeah, I, I I really like the film. I think it's probably the best of the three. Um, it's got problems, not anywhere near as many as Into Darkness. And I think it's not because I, I have such still have such a problem with how dumb the first one is, 2009, despite enjoying it. So I think that it's great despite itself, though, isn't it? Yeah, despite yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I and I think that with. Um, Lynn's direction as well, and uh, yeah, I think I like like this one the best, really. And uh, again, yeah, it's got problems, but I hope we get another one. I know there was originally they before they released it, they said, "Yeah, we're doing another one with Chris Hemsworth," and then it didn't do very well, relatively speaking. And there was everything went quiet. So I'd be, I'd be really, really sad if after finally getting to this a point now where it's it's really satisfying that they stop it yeah it'll be shame because i yeah i i hold this this entry kind of in high regards now um so it will probably be on the higher end for me this film um uh, so it'll be nice to actually you know continue on and how it should continue on in my opinion um, with this kind of vibe and this kind of right of uh, treatment of characters. I don't know what Discovery is going to do to this in as much as Discovery could be rubbish and it drains even more interest from Star Trek. Or it could be brilliant and that boosts this because the more Trek, the better. Or it could be brilliant and damage this on the basis that two things firstly it's back in the primary universe people are more interested in what will almost certainly be a more cerebral take because it's on tv tv always is not all tv but i mean star trek tv tends to be a bit less action focused and all the rest of it 
Or it could be that Discovery becomes such a hit that we get two or three spin-offs from it. And as much as I'm not saying that it will definitely be uh, Bruce Greenwood, but we could get a, a, a Pike Enterprise in the prime timeline mm. or something. Or we could get, you know, um, just something else, whatever that might be. We might get, so, you know, something from just pre-TNG or the TNG era or whatever. Ever, if that's the case, does that hurt this universe because this feels irrelevant, or does it help it because Star Trek's brand is is solid? And I think time will time will just have to tell on that. Yeah, I mean, it may, it may be that that they do kind of keep this timeline to the films and the other, the prime timeline to TV. See, I'd be happy with that as someone yeah. who isn't say a Doctor Who fan but loves the concept but doesn't yeah. like the execution. If you did a separate universe on film that was like Doctor Who and different I'd be alright with that yeah. but I'm sure there are fans who don't feel the same way and I try to be respectful of fans here that I know a lot of people don't like this timeline had it been the timeline they, they, they'd done this film and then they'd spun off like a discovery type ship but in the alternate timeline Yeah. then you know and be built like a Marvel type universe then maybe my concern is that this will almost feel irrelevant, but that's yeah. a Star Trek fan talking. Maybe the average, you know, cinema and TV, you know, viewer doesn't really think about that shit. Yeah, and of course, it's it's all going to come down to as well the the quality of Discovery. I mean, I'm I'm trying not to let alarm bells ring in my head. There's obvious alarm bells that they've they've delayed it. <sighs> They're uh, they've lost Brian Fuller. Yeah, and it was nothing so, to do with so it. so late casting their lead yeah I mean, it's like in may isn't it sorry it's supposed to air in may it was going to be it was supposed to be it was supposed to be airing around now but it's they they've they're only about to start filming it's airing <sighs> in may i say now listeners uh, this will be out i think this episode will release on the 8th of january we're recording this on new year's day happy new year uh, everybody happy new year <laughs> But I, I, I that again, but forgot. <laughs> yeah, but the point is that yeah, I mean it could be brilliant. Sometimes you get greatness out of chaos, but you've got to be a bit nervy. No, else I can I can add to what I said at the beginning, really. Um, just a minor point about the visuals. I think I've obviously not as eagle-eyed as, as yourself, Dave. Um, it's, it's got like quantum solace syndrome, although it's come out of it much much better than it has. It's better than um, quantum solace. Oh yeah, no, no definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, any sort of you know, typical delays, things like that. Um, but no, in terms of the visuals, I think is the best sort of quality that we've seen despite its rushed production. I think um, just, to, I think just anyone... to Rebecca, just to interrupt there, what I'm getting at is actually some of the visual effects. Yeah. The, when the, um, for example, the Franklin goes to take off and it drops off the cliff, Golden High style. That does look a bit wobbly. That needs a few pa more passes. It's just time. If you're talking cinematography and conceptual things like the warp effect, I think this is the best looking film of the three. Oh, yeah, I no, just definitely. Think, I no. just think it needed a bit more time, that's all. No, exactly. No, I was just saying that like, there's a couple of a couple of scenes that I think are a bit wobbly, like the what should be christened the golden eye scene mm. um, is, is the same. And also the, the scene, obviously, towards the end where he's zipping around on his bike. Um and using the was it a visual defector to kind of create multiple images of, of him as he goes around. That could have been done a little bit better. But I say just it's rushed and that's where it is. But otherwise, yeah, it's the prettiest of, of the lot. Um so I think my probably my main bugbear with this film is Carl and his backstory. Um but I say performance is great. There's a little bit of whitewashing going on obviously with the layers of makeup. Um but otherwise huge fun, all the characters are settled into their roles. 
no, just, um, in general, I yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, a few visual niggles. Um, main bugbear would be Carl and his backstory, which is released too too late in the film. But you know, I had a, re- a really good time with this film. Um, really fun. All the characters are settled into their roles. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And for me, it's number one. If I'm going to rank all the reboot series, um, this is number one on the list. I don't feel very well informed on this film, though. <laughs> Even though we talked, even though we talked about the film for like over two hours, and I watched it doing all the special features and red <laughs> and stuff, I'm just totally uninformed. So what will help oh. someone having looked at like fucking IMDb trivia for a couple of minutes? <laughs> 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 Actually, I went beyond IMDb trivia, don't you know? So yeah, yeah she also looks at Wikipedia. Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Memory alpha. I feel I feel really bad actually because I don't. I mean, even though obviously Wikipedia is needs to be funded by the public. Um, it's going to sound really bad, but because it's written by people, I don't always trust what I'm reading. <laughs> I, 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 te- I, t- I tend to give it a wide berth, what, you know, whatever it is. Well, they don't usually make up stuff about Star Trek. No, but I, I just, regardless, generally, I'm always like, right, take away the pinch of salt and, you know, all those kind of epithets. So <laughs> as a student, I can't cite Wikipedia as a credible reference, so well, no, take that, take that with you no, all. Exactly. Didn't you exist when I was a student. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were always told by our lecturers, you know, just don't use Wikipedia, whatever you do, it's not credible. And it's oh, I, was my told, don't, yeah, I was told by my lecturers, don't use Wikipedia because it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> Used encyclopedia the internet was just being created, you know. <laughs> Your cursory glance at the internet, Becca. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Okay, good night, folks. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I've got... Oh, I don't know. Probably 6.5 fun facts, but one of them I'll reduce into one. So six fun okay. facts, yay. Okay, so if you've got 0. 0.5 of a fun Hold fact... Hold on, let me just... No, wait, I'll get it. Is that just one... not a Star fact, Trek? Or it's not fun? Is it just or... a Star Trek? Yeah, 0. 0.5. <laughs> or, or, or is it like a... Fun <laughs> fact, 0. 0.5. <laughs> Or is it a fact, but it might not be a fact? It's questionable. No, it's, yeah. it's, like the su- it's like the super fast technology Chris talked about last week. No, I have a number of fun facts, but the number okay. may not be so fun. Um, no, um, obviously, uh, number one screenwriter, um, Doug Young, has a cameo as Ben. This is uh, Sudo's husband. Um, fun fact number two. Ben um, Sudo, black- not Ben Solo. No, Ben's here. No, the, the two are very different, don't you know? Yeah. Um, uh, fun fact number two: the black eye that Chris Pine has towards the end of the film um, is not makeup, and that fight between him and Edges Elba got a little bit too rough, um, which I think is hilarious. Number three, as we all berated it earlier, obviously sabotage is not back to um, Star Trek 09, and quite frankly, we're quite you know don't really want to hear that again in the Star Trek series. Yes, very- fuck off, Star Trek. <laughs> Oh, fun fact number four. Uh, can I just say, as a middle-aged white male, I kind of rather like Sabotage. So. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a good song, but it's kind of... It, it kind of it's too on the low very much. Yeah. Oh, so you're middle-aged, Chris, not yet. Maybe I'm, I'm slightly older than Chris, so I'm, I'm middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, like... Nas- no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> was it racist, Becca? <laughs> No, you can cut this bit, but no, I was going to say we've got like National Trust membership, but a friend of mine just got it for a bath and there's nothing wrong yeah. with it whatsoever. Yeah, so. I'm glad you didn't say that on the record because it's just so edgy and rude. <laughs> no, you can delete, delete it anyway. National it's irrelevant. Trust, fucking hell. <laughs> what a bitch. It's irrelevant anyway, so anyway. Fun fact number four. Carry on. Um, all three Star Trek villains have also played Marvel heroes. Obviously, Eric Banner, Nero playing Hulk. 
um, Benedict Cumberbatch, Khan, Doctor Strange, and Idris Elba, cool, was obviously harmed out in Thor. And also, fun fact, obviously, the last film I did before he passed away in the middle of last year. Uh, fun fact number six. This is actually a fun fact, I think. Fun fact. Um, fun fact, folks. <laughs> fun fact, you Sad passing. Um, his parents were going to try and sue the car manufacturers. I don't know how far they got. I, it's a class action lawsuit because they found out that the, um, yeah, the parking brakes... Uh, American cars and British cars can tend to be different <laughs> because most of ours are manual if you're listening from North America. So we tend to just... we you know <laughs> We leave our cars in neutral and I tried to explain that to an American one and they were like but don't you leave it in park there's no such mm-hmm. thing on our cars no we didn't have that but there were um there were there was a class action lawsuit i don't know how it's going on but absolutely all joking aside there have been issues with the brakes on that model of car so i really hope that if they don't get recompensed they we at least find out what happened what what is the fault how prevalent was it how did it happen and it gets fixed or all, all resolved in some way. Yeah, we're joking. Just to be clear, because I, I, I'm normally quite calm about like maybe offending because we say what we say, but we're joking about it being put in a section called fun facts. <laughs> we are not, we are, oh yeah, we are, we are not laughing about what happened to Anton Yelchin because frankly it was sickening. No, it's very uh, sad. I was gutted because he's he's so promising. Yeah. Um, my favorite films of his is um, like crazy, and just because I. I Personal, well, not personal connection. Well, I do have a personal connection to the like the story of what happens in the film. Yeah, because um, it's crazy. Because it's crazy. That's it. Um, but the plot of the film, knows. I watched that film without some tissues. Um, and final fun fact: <laughs> I'm like uh, that with loads of films. <laughs> <laughs> also, he was awesome day. in um, in Green Room, which also had Star Trek Patrick Stewart in as he well. Is. So, and, and actually, that's fun, folks. Terrible, it was a terrible film, but Terminator Salvation. When they said he was cast. I went, what? And then he did a perfect Michael Bean impression. He was the best thing in that film. He was. Um, no, J-Lo is actually named for Jennifer Lawrence, didn't you know? So you can see J-Lo, 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 see what they did there. Um, they wanted um, a really strong, independent female character. Um, so obviously they put Jennifer Lawrence from her appearance they, they in Winter's Bone. decided not to go with Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> no, they didn't. No, I was, I was thinking, of, like, we said, like, uh, J-Lo. I was like, you sort of J-Lo. I was like, didn't think of J-Lo. That's what I misheard it to start with. I was like, what, she's got nope. a big ass? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Divorce lots? <laughs> <laughs> lots of money, you know. I think J-Lo, we haven't talked about her enough. I know I popped off while you were talking about her earlier, but terrific terrific i think really if you're gonna go with something different she would be a great member of the crew going forward yeah, yeah. let's hope she doesn't end up like carl marcus just like hey welcome to the family yes yeah. i thought you meant i thought you meant down in a bra and knickers <laughs> <laughs> i i really don't want joking aside i don't want star trek to go that route it's pathetic oh god yes is that it becca yep oh okay we'll see this is leonard nimoy's Yes, of course, Leonard Nimoy died. Um, yeah, this film is dedicated to... Fun um, fun fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say it a fourth time, bloody hell. <laughs> Our fun facts are so <laughs> Well, this is a film that literally has like two obituaries at the end, doesn't it? It's like, it yeah, like in memory of Leonard Nimoy. Then, yeah. of... I suppose um, that's one thing that we haven't talked about. The, the, yeah, the... Um, Cameo by the original crew. 
Yeah, obviously yeah. there's a there's a photo of um for the fifty anniversary. Star Trek Five. Look at them and go, who the fuck are they? <laughs> <laughs> I know. You think a lot of nothing like us, souls, don't you know? Who's the handsome man in the wig? <laughs> From uh, fine, don't you know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it it, like... it was really nicely handled how they did almost mm. did like the announcement like through like it was like an actual placard of like memorial. It was really classy. Well, I just think how would all see and Kurtzman cover it? Would they have had? They would have had. They'd have fireworks and. They'd have had a video. They'd have had a video. They would. They would have had. Um, they would have like. Um, they would have effectively done what they did in, in the last film, in that they would have. Um, they would just redone Rafa Khan again. They would have just they'd like. Have re- they'd have redone a scene or or had a scene that was Star Trek and completely on the nose. Oh, like to be like, okay, what's the one thing from Rafa Khan that we haven't done? Oh no, that that thing Kurt says in a funeral. So you would have had like new Spark, update <laughs> to old Spark, going like, of, of all, all the this stuff. Known, this was the most <laughs> human. <laughs> probably it'll probably be with yeah, that. You imagine we we dedicate to Leonard Nimoy the captain's oath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any listeners out there? I am available for acting gigs, provided it's radio radio only, because I'm an ugly fucker. <laughs> Very nice. But anyway, we also had a listener question from Edgar Chaput saying, can you explain what happened to Coral and his crew on the planet? Physically, I mean, I don't fully get it. I think the short answer to that is, I have no fucking idea, and that's probably one of the faults of the film. (laughs) Okay. Um, The special features say that in design, he's meant to reflect all of the different species he's taken life force from. So his his physical appearance has shifted as he's basically ingested is the wrong word, but you get my intention. Uh, he's as he's ingested basically DNA and life force of other races. Chris is right; it's not very well explained. And also, when as soon as they get him off that planet, he kind of starts going back to looking like Idris Elba again within moments. So. It's not clear, but yeah, that that was the intention. The intention is he has his look has changed as he's taken on life from other beings. It's a bit like the ring, really, like with Gollum. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. I thought yeah, you meant, I thought you meant ring. Changes him. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> that's like, 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 yeah, that's like. Oh, they want to show him a videotape, or yeah, I, I, I just saw yeah, a video like, and then seven days later he's a monster. It's nothing <laughs> with that. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so he's like it's totally kind of, like what women want. The, the, the way, <laughs> like he was shaking his legs and Ellen <laughs> <Bunster> <laughs> thinking, "What an asshole!" Um, so yeah, Gollum. So Gollum, obviously, he he got the ring. He wore the ring, and because of what that did to him, it kind of transformed him physically. Yeah, it's the physical external. Like, like where like, did yeah. he, where did he get the technology to do that as well? Oh, Chris, we nearly got through this without having to fucking think about that. Because <laughs> he, he took over the whole mining deal from someone, yeah. or they found it. So presumably that would just be with the planet, or whether or not he took them over and conquered them, or whether or not they... Um, yeah. Who knows? Again, it's not very well explained, which again is one of the weakest parts of the film. What got next week? <laughs> We don't have to fucking bother watching films now except live. Yeah. So what's next, Becca? So expect to talk we'll return with Star Trek Generations, a commentary. <laughs>